Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Tuesday edition of Sports Call, live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoy, the host of this fine program. Today, I've got Tom Peavy and Brooks Childress with me for the full three hours as we Continue to run down the happenings from the Auburn and LSU game this past weekend. Uh, we will continue to look at some other football results from around the country uh, from this past weekend, both SEC and just the entirety of the NCAA. Also on the program coming up in just a couple minutes, actually, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will join us as uh, Ferg will be on just uh, just a few minutes earlier than normal. That's coming up in a couple of minutes. So, again, he'll, uh, he'll break down what went wrong for Auburn against LSU and uh, what needs to be done here as Auburn gets ready for the second half of its season, including a game against Ole Miss inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium this Saturday night. Of course, we'll also take your phone calls on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We'll have a sports call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group, as always, coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. As always, when I miss a show, really appreciate Brooks Childress for stepping in the host seat. I was able to listen to the show in its entirety on the way back from Tampa today and uh, enjoyed listening to the program. Appreciate you, Brooks, for what you do there. And uh, without further ado, we I introduce my co-host for today's show, Brooks Childress and Tom Peavy. Brooks, starting with you again, thank you for uh, doing the show for us yesterday. And uh, how are you, my friend? I'm great. Yeah, it was uh, it was great to uh, you know get back in the host chair, but I'm also happy to be on the back on this side of the, the table as well. Today, uh, you know, it, it was a, it was a fun show yesterday. Got off the air, went and watched some baseball last night. Finished up that Rangers Astros game, when it resulted in the Rangers taking a 2-0 series lead over the Astros. Uh, and then watch that uh, that Phillies and D-backs game last night. That even though Phil, uh, the D-backs had their moments, it, Philly controlled that game pretty much from the start. Um, and so they're up 1-0 in, in the NLCS. Watched a little bit of football last night uh, with the Cowboys and the Chargers. Didn't get that till late because I was watching baseball, but. Uh, nonetheless, it was a it was a good game, and yeah, can't wait to uh, can't wait to talk to all of our callers and get to talk to Justin Ferguson here in a few minutes. And uh, we got college football back tonight again for the the, the new week starts tonight. Uh, we'll talk about that uh, later on, probably when we get to the nightly TV guide. Uh, but a uh, big game here in the state of Alabama was going, or two games in the state of Alabama going down tonight uh, uh, for and one in the Sun Belt, one in the uh, in the Conference USA. So. Uh, some I'm I'm always happy when college football's on my TV. I'll, I'll be forthcoming and say that I've not looked at the slate for tonight, but I'm going to try and put two and two together. All right. You said three teams are in action in the state of Alabama two. tonight. Oh, only two. two. Okay, never mind. Unless I'm, go- I'm mistaken. I was going to say 
Uh, if you said two games and three teams, I was going to say that Troy versus South was tonight. But so I'm, I'm going to be wrong in that. But I imagine that Jacksonville State is one of them playing in Conference USA as they play uh, a lot of midweek games this year in Conference USA, and then either Troy or South Alabama would be the the other there in the Sun Belt. So okay, didn't quite play myself, but uh, was certainly was was thought I was on to something there. But nevertheless, yeah. yeah there are three games in total on tonight, yes. but only two of them involve state of Alabama teams. And still very much in the midst of that with that 48 or 49 straight days of football of some sort being on the TV. We're still on the front nine of that, and so certainly enjoying all that. Tom Peavy also on the program Hello. today. Tom, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing good. And, uh, yeah, I had a good show yesterday and back at it today. Glad to have you back with us uh, after your trip to go watch the Cream Sickles. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, I, I will I will tell you again, it's not, you know my spiel, it's right. not the look. I don't hate the look. It's it what, is what it represents. Yeah, right. And uh, it was continually represented that way on Sunday, unfortunately. Yeah, fair enough. But uh, yeah, doing great. Um, yeah, we had a good show yesterday, talked about a lot of stuff. And I know we got more to talk about today. I know we got Justin Ferguson coming on. Uh, we're going to talk a lot with him. And uh, yeah, just kind of. Re, still recapping everything from the from what was just a terrible loss for Auburn. Uh, you feel like any kind of momentum that they may have had going forward, you took that step back, which yeah. we always talked about you don't want. You want to at least see progress forward. This felt like another step back. Um, felt like a regression with the defense there uh, as they got exposed quite a bit, and the offense just still can't figure it out. So hopefully they figure some things out before this weekend, but – it's one of those things, it's just, uh, it's not good. And it was not supposed to be good. It's kind of to be expected, but it still hurts when you actually see it in front of you. Yeah. And, you know, we, we kind of mentioned it yesterday, but Hugh Freeze mentioned it, uh, definitely mentioned it in his press yesterday. It doesn't get any easier for, for right. them because, you know, even though – uh, Ole Miss, uh, it, it may you know maybe a, a team that you you know you're you're looking at the end of the year and you say they may not be as good of a team as LSU. They beat LSU, and they're still a top five, top you know whatever it is offense in the in the SEC and in the country. Uh, they they can score the football just as uh, I mean we saw they score the football just as uh, just as often as LSU can. They've got playmakers all over that field and. Um, it's and you know they're coming off a bye week. Uh, they when Auburn came off the bye week, going to that LSU game. Uh, Ole Miss comes off the bye week, coming to this Auburn game, and so it's uh it's it's going to be interesting dynamic inside Jordan Hare Stadium where they they take on an Auburn takes on another really really dynamic offense here in the SEC uh, in this Ole Miss team. And uh, I know a lot of people, you know, you, you look at this game. Uh, there's a lot of people in the off season that wanted uh, Ole, uh wanted uh, Lane Kiffin. As as Auburn's head coach, and no. so you're you're going to be getting a getting a into the stadium between uh, who a lot of people wanted and who actually became the head coach of Auburn, and so it, it's going to be some some interesting some interesting times at, in, in Jordan Hare Stadium this weekend uh, between them and Ole Miss. But yeah, it's you know I, I don't think I really gave my opinion on the game yesterday. Uh, I, I was more guiding the ship a little bit, um, but it was I, I, I'll tell you this. I was sitting at the our, at our back production computer, which you can hear uh, our sister station WAUD from earlier today. And I was uh, Chuck Oliver, a uh, friend of the program. Chuck Oliver was on, and he came back and he put it like that. I'm, I'm not going to be able to put it just like him because he's a master of words and is uh, the master of the way he he describes things. He said, "Well, 
you know, let's say that you were out of off the planet. You were on the International Space Station for this past weekend, and you came back down and said, "Oh, Auburn lost LSU. How did it happen?" Well, uh, describe it to me. The you know he talked and he talked about the first two drives. Auburn just didn't know how to play football. That that was basically how what he boiled it down to is Auburn just didn't know how to play football those first two drives. Right. Uh, and you, you know you had the it was it was just it was a calamity of sorts. And you know I know a lot of people. Uh, you know you look at that that uh, game coming off the bye week, um, and you expect Auburn to be you know in a, a better situation coming off that bye week, and they just it it didn't look like it. It it just looked like they were they were out uh, out coached, outgunned, uh, outmanned, all of the above. Um, and I I just don't know. And you know I don't know if it, it's it's. Uh, I think no matter you know you look at how this team is constructed um, this year. I think no matter who your coach is, you're you were going to go through growing pains this year. You know, Tom, you you mentioned uh, last year when the coaching search was going on, Deion Sanders. I know a lot of people, like I said, wanted Lane Kiffin. Uh, the, you know, the other names were thrown out there, but I think no matter who it was, you were going to go through growing pains uh, this this year, especially how the roster was constructed and this. Uh, this this game was grade A growing pains for Auburn. Yeah, absolutely. A lot to talk about uh, with the struggles of Auburn in Baton Rouge. And, and with that in mind, we'll now go to the orthopedic clinic phone line as we welcome on Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, kind of to take some time out of his day to join us again as he does each and every Tuesday. Justin, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing very well. And, of course, already discussing here in the first moments of the show the Auburn LSU game in Baton Rouge, and Justin, we'll have plenty of time to talk offense here, but uh, I think that although LSU's offense is incredible, we all knew they'd put up points. What went wrong for Auburn's defense so early in the game because it felt like Auburn got punched in the mouth on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, no, I mean, LSU did what they they did. Auburn made some mistakes, wasn't really – you know, LSU kind of preyed on some of the the areas that Auburn struggled with and tweaked some things, you know, had guys – you know, they used their running backs a little bit more in the passing game than they used to. And, yeah, it just kind of it kind of just snowballed from there. Auburn did not play with the effort and the energy that they needed to play with in order to, to make this game, um, you know, competitive. And, you know, I think the way Auburn played on offense, it was always going to be hard to, you know, stay competitive in this game. But the defense did not do itself any favors. It felt like guys' heads were dropping. Body language wasn't great. Tackling effort wasn't great. Uh, and, you know, throughout the last few days, we have heard Auburn defensive players, you know, and, and Hugh Freeze talk about, like, hey, we got to be better than that because this defense, um, you know, it's, it's going to have to survive off of that energy and that juice. This team is not very deep on defense. It's not, you know, stacked with elite talent. But we saw them, you know, Auburn had a chance to beat Georgia because of its defense. It hung in the game longer than it probably should have against A&M because of its defense. It won the game against Cal because of its defense. And so you've got to keep doing that the rest of the season, and you just didn't against LSU, and that's why it was a 30-point loss. Justin, after seeing the offense play against LSU, a team that by any statistic had been struggling mightily on defense, I mean, is there any path forward? Real, I mean, 
uh, for this for this at least passing attack of the Auburn offense because I, I know they did get their first hundred yard output in several Power Five games, but still incredibly underwhelming for what LSU brings the table defensively. I mean, what's what are some of the areas that still realistically they can still find some improvement on? They can they can tweak some stuff. Uh, they can change some 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 strategies, some personnel. But this you kind of are who you are at this point, and I think it's become very clear here recently that Auburn is not trusting Robbie Asher to run the full scope of the offense. They are using him more in this package, but it is just that. It is a package. Um, keep in mind, I mean, he threw the ball four times against uh, against LSU. All of those passes were to Brandon Frazier. All of these were in heavier sets, uh, either with multiple running backs or multiple tight ends on the field. He's not running the full scope of the offense, and Auburn has not chosen to do that. They've just used him more in these specific packages. So any Auburn fans sitting here saying – they need to play Robbie Ashford. They need to start Robbie Ashford. All that. I get it. I understand where you're coming from. I, I also think that you know, this staff just does not – they have not planted the seeds to do that, at least on the field this year. Now, maybe you change some things up in practices or anything like that, but I do think they are going to be committed to this two-quarterback system moving forward at the halfway point. You kind of are who you are personnel-wise. Um, what can they do to get better? I mean, it's tough because, you know, I think, you know, they – they're going to be limited in scope, and I wrote about this today. Is there were, your passing game is always going to be limited in scope when you don't have enough playmakers out wide, and that's the situation Auburn finds itself in. Your most reliable pass catchers this year are Jay Fair, uh, Javarius Johnson when he's healthy, and Rivaldo Fairweather, and you've got other tight ends as well. Out wide, Tanner Brown's made a few plays, but that's it. Um, you know, Shane Hooks has played a lot, but his metrics are not very good uh, efficiency-wise. Hadn't got anything from Jagger Shorter, Nick Marner, the transfers you got. Malcolm Johnson Jr. has made a couple plays, but you know, mostly against you know against UMass. Um, you know, Coy Moore has been banged up. Like this offense just does not have the dudes on the outside to be kind of a full fledged what they want to do on the outside. So, what do you do? Maybe you play Cameron Brown a little bit more. Maybe you play Rivaldo Fairweather more as a split out wide receiver, which we saw him do some against LSU, and then just try to manage it from there. But you know, I, I think this Auburn team is just going to have to be a lot more creative and selective with what they do in the passing game. And maybe it'll be time just to run the ball more and just say, hey, you know, forget what forget what's happening uh, in the box. Forget what the defense is doing. We're just going to have to lean even harder on the running game because, um, you know, it's just even, even on those plays where throwing the ball in the RPO is the right call, um, you know, pulling it back and letting and turning it loose, they just don't have a high enough success rate on it to justify doing it over and over and over again. Um, so you, you can change the strategy. So, I mean, there's things you can tweak. And, you know, second half of the season, you're not playing as tough of teams. Now, LSU's defense wasn't very good, but you're not playing as talented of players or teams until you get to the Alabama game on paper. But, I mean, you know, I, I don't expect this Auburn offense to just automatically just and magically just become this, like, red-hot attack, at least through the air. Uh, this year, uh, I think they just need to, you know, get some sort of a threat going uh, and just kind of maintain just being, I mean, average at best would be, you know, the the ultimate goal for this for this passing attack. Justin, we saw three Tigers make their first career starts on uh, on Saturday. What were your thoughts on how they did? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Caleb Burton is another one of those guys you you talk about where it's like, hey, you see some you see some uh, some potential, you see some flash in there. He's worked hard. He's under six feet tall, and it's going to be hard. I mean, again, he's not a big enough dude to, you know, be a 
outside guy for you very often. Um, same thing with Javarius Johnson, same thing with Jay Fair. So it's just kind of like it's tough because I think the problem with Auburn's offense more than anything else is that the areas where they have depth and they have playmakers are all kind of concentrated you know, with one another. Um, you don't have consistency at quarterback right now. You don't have consistency with your outside receivers, but you've got running backs and tight ends. So you can lean on that as much as possible. And I know there were some Auburn fans this week kind of going like, why didn't they use more tight ends, use more running backs? And like They did. They, they absolutely did in this game. It's just it, it limits you on what kind of the full scope you can do with your offense. Um, but I did think Burton's a guy that you can, you can get creative with, find him, find him ways to get on the field. Um, let's see. Uh, Keldrick Falk, you know, making his first career start. Thought he played well, uh, you know, for a freshman in that situation. Auburn's defensive front is just – uh, they just, I mean, it's been kind of the thing we talked about since the preseason. Like, they don't really have, um, you know, a strong, like, four man pass rush. They got some guys who can make some plays. Keldrick's been one of them. Marcus Harris has been one of them. Um, but, you know, Jalen McLeod's been, been one of them at times. But it's just consistently, it's, it's just tough for this defense to kind of play at the level that we've expected. Because there isn't a Colby Wooden or a Derek Hall or, you know, a Derek Brown or a, you know, any of those guys on this team. So it's been an adjustment to see that. And I'm blanking on whoever the third starter would have been in this game. Can you help me out here? Uh, it was – Ryan, do you have it? Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. It was Caleb Burton, Keldrick Falk, and uh, the, the third one. Was, I had it yesterday. I, 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 I thought about it. I had it yesterday here on a piece of paper, but I, I do not have it in front of me. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to recommend – I think it might have been Caleb Wooden. Um, yeah, I think it technically would have been Caleb Wooden. I, don't know, I think Caleb you're started, right. Like, I, I think yeah. you're right. Yeah, um, and that was you know that was a case of you know Jalen Simpson not being 100 percent and knowing that they can't go couldn't go full blast with him. You know, Caleb's played a decent amount of ball. You know, it's just I mean I'm not gonna gonna pick on him specifically. I thought Auburn, you know, I thought he played fine when he was out there. It's just you know Jalen Simpson's their really their best weapon on defense, um, and so you need to play him as much as possible. But you know, again, uh, you go back to back go back to that play. You know, the, the turnover. Um, Jalen just making a play in the air. DJ James takes advantage of it. Um, you need depth. And, again, it kind of goes back to what I said about running backs and tight ends. Auburn's got depth in the secondary. Just doesn't really have a ton of depth everywhere else. And then, Justin, you know, we, we always come on, you know, we, we have you on. We talk offense. We talk defense. Something that's been a bright spot for Auburn this year has been that special teams. You've had McPherson, I think he said, what, 12 field goals in a row. And then Oscar Chapman, uh, at least this past weekend, uh, hit two 50-plus yard punts that kind of, you know, extended his uh, number of 50-plus uh, yard punts. Talk about the, the Auburn special teams right now. Yeah, outside of a big punt return by LSU, I mean, our, you know, sorry, big kick return by LSU, it was a good game for Auburn special teams. I thought Auburn special teams has played fairly well this year. Um, you need that when you are not as deep and not as talented, um, you know, in some of these matchups that, that you need to be. Um, you need your special teams to kind of play above their heads. They've done a good job, specialists have taken care of it. You know, I think that they're going to continue to be weapons for this team. Um, and I think coming up in these games, moving ahead, starting with Ole Miss this week, but obviously with. State, Arkansas, Vanderbilt coming up. Um, these are games where Auburn does not have the gigantic talent gap that they have with Georgia and A&M and LSU. So in that, in that sense, um, you still need your special teams to play, play really well um, for sure. Um, but, you know, I think Auburn's got a potential to be in closer ball games um, and, you know, have more of a fighting chance to get some wins, string some wins together. Special teams is definitely going to play a part of that. 
Switching over to the recruiting side of things, uh, we, we've been talking about the lack of the, the talent on the roster and, and things like that. Uh, been some good recruiting news going on, but here in the last few days been some bad recruiting news with some guys decommitting. Is that a, becoming an area of concern with guys dropping? No, I, I don't think so. I think Auburn, like, you know, with Jaden Lewis decommitting today, it seems to be kind of a was a mutual decision. or But I think it's one of those things where Auburn's got different targets on their board. He was a guy that – uh, committed very early in this class, and I think Auburn's got plenty of four-star and five-star types of talent in the in the secondary um, that they may have a little bit higher up then, and you know might be kind of shifting their priorities. And Lewis might be you know kind of seeing hey um, you know kind of where Auburn's priorities are as well. Um, I talked to a couple of people today, weren't surprised by the news of, of Lewis. Kind of felt like that was something uh, that was coming. Um, so you know I, I think Auburn you know the losses that they've had in recruiting the decommitments have largely been at positions of strength. Um, so, I mean, I think you'll, you'll live with those for sure. Um, but you got to keep stacking uh, for the future. Um, should be a big recruiting weekend this weekend. A lot of visits coming in. Get a big 2025 uh, defensive lineman commitment from Birmingham uh, this weekend as well. I think he's a, he's a really good kind of like gap plug-in type of defensive lineman that Auburn's going to need more of in the future. So, um, you know, you, you never want to see a kid decommit, obviously, but um, I think Auburn feels like they're in a pretty good position, uh, especially in the secondary. They've still got uh, a lot of talent back there. Talking to Justin Ferguson here on the Tuesday edition of Sports Call, the Auburn Observer. A couple more for you, Ferg. Uh, looking ahead to Ole Miss this weekend, another incredible challenge for the Auburn defense as Ole Miss cuffs them putting up a lot of points. Ole Miss put up 48 on the Tigers at Vaught Hemingway last year. Of course, LSU just put up 48 this past week on Auburn, what, what what kind of ground can the defense make up having to improve from LSU week against this uh, really good Ole Miss offense? Yeah, I think if you look at Auburn and say, hey, if we've, I mean, we're capable of playing well against good offenses. We've seen them do that. Obviously, they had a good stretch against AM. Georgia, they did really well against. They're playing in Jordan Hare Stadium. They got to get up. They can't have the slow starts that they had. If they get punched in the mouth, they've got to rally. They got to play with more juice, more effort, more energy. Um, they got to do better. This week, I think last week was a wake-up call for this Auburn defense. That hey, you know, you got to be at the at the A A you know A plus plus your A plus plus game every game this year for Auburn to have a chance. Um, and I think talking to players uh, this week, that's kind of been the sense we've got from them is that you know they feel like being back in Jordan Hare um, is going to help a lot, and just kind of getting that wake-up call. Uh, Ole Miss is going to get their yards; they're going to move, um, but. This is, you know, remember two years ago when Ole Miss came in here and they had a really good offense and Auburn ended up winning. What did they do? Force turnovers, force turnovers on downs. A lot of the stuff we talked about with LSU last week, you know, force those guys to kick um, in drives with kicks instead of, you know, extra points, uh, whether that's punts or field goals, um, you know, force turnovers. Like, they, that all still applies from this game. Just last week against LSU, Auburn got punched in the mouth, didn't really respond, by the time they did have a good little stretch in the middle of the game in the second quarter where they, you know, strung together some stops, well, Auburn's offense couldn't couldn't retaliate, um, couldn't help them out, and then they fell back down again in the second half. Um, you got to keep your energy up. You got to keep your effort levels up. You're not going to dominate this Ole Miss team by any means, but you're playing in a night game and during here seems to be a lot of energy, a lot of motion. Feed off that as much as possible and keep holding the rope, and uh, maybe Auburn can hang in there. 
And then lastly, Ferg, we'll end with this. Uh, you're obviously at basketball practice right now. We're, we're hearing some of the sounds in the background. Uh, this basketball team ranked technically 32nd in the AP poll, but also 15th in the Ken Palm rankings, the, the analytic rankings, computer rankings that come out. Uh, why, why do you think there's kind of a bit of a divide there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it comes down to the fact that Auburn – um, you know, the numbers, the, the, the computers like Auburn more because, especially in the SEC, because they return a decent bit. When you bring back Jani Broom, when you bring back Jalen Williams, when you bring back guys like Katie Johnson, um, you know, Chris Moore, Trey Donaldson, guys who have played a decent bit of basketball uh, in the past, um, the computers are going to like you more than maybe the humans. And the humans are looking at recruiting rankings or they're looking at transfer class rankings. And they're probably looking at Auburn and saying, okay, well, they've got this coming back. They had a kind of a step back last year was, you know, kind of middle of the road in the SEC. All right, who did they bring in? Well, they brought in a five-star. Okay, that's good. Um, but, you know, you're bringing in um, Denver Jones, who was on a not-great FIU team, but put up some decent numbers, obviously some really good numbers in scoring. Uh, they're looking at it and saying, okay, they got a JUCO transfer in Chad Baker-Mazzara, and they got a um, D2 transfer in Cheney Mazzara – or, I'm sorry, in, in Cheney Johnson – when you see all that and put it all together, you could probably see how um, the humans uh, will look at it and say, well, Team X and Y right here um, have more transfers that we know about. They're more proven. Um, may have had a little bit better recruiting class instead of just the one star guy that Auburn's gotten. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where you, you see the kind of differential. I mean, I think Auburn's fourth in the SEC in Ken Palm. They were picked to finish sixth um, in the league uh, in the poll that came out today. I voted in that poll. I had Auburn at fifth, uh, I believe. Uh, if I can remember back to voting, I, I think I had Auburn at fifth, um, kind of splitting the difference there. So, you know, this, this team is, you know, this team's got a, got a lot coming back compared to a lot of teams. There's just so much roster turnover in the SEC and in college basketball that you kind of forget that, like, bringing back Jalen and Janine and these guys is like kind of ahead of the curve for most teams. But I think it has more to do with the fact that outside of Aiden Holloway, the guys that they brought in uh, aren't as big of name, like big name, well-known names. And, um, you know, that's going to influence the humans a little bit. Getting closer and closer to basketball season just a few weeks away. He's Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today on Sports Call. Justin, as always, the time's greatly appreciated. What do you have going on at the Observer this week? Yeah, a whole lot of stuff at the Observer. Um, we got a couple stories on Auburn's offense. You can check out uh, some of the stuff we talked about, uh, some deep dives into the, you know, what's going on with Auburn's deep offense and what's, you know, what, what, they, what can they fix uh, tomorrow. Uh, we will have uh, a story on the defense up early in the morning along with the new friends of the program uh, podcast, which is always a lot of fun. And then we, uh, I'll be at SEC Media Days tomorrow um, for basketball. We'll have stuff on that on Thursday. Preview podcast on Thursday, 13 for 13, pushing that back to Friday. Mailbag is going to come out on Saturday this week. We'll have a ton of coverage from the Auburn Ole Miss game this weekend. So you're getting at least one or two things you know, every day if you subscribe to the Observer sent to your email inbox. Uh, AuburnObserver.com, $6 a month or $60 a year. All of our newsletters, all of our podcasts um, get sent so you can read and listen on your own time. Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today on Sports Hall. Ferg, again, as always, the time's greatly appreciated. Wish you well up at Media Days tomorrow, and uh, we look forward to chatting with you again soon. Yep, y'all be good. That is Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us today on Sports Call. We're going to take our first time out of the program today when we come back. We'll go back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We'll get more thoughts from that Auburn LSU game this past Saturday. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. 
Stay tuned. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. Appreciate Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for talking to us a little bit early today. Busy time for Ferg. Uh, they're at basketball practice. as football media coverage. Again, basketball media days later this week up in Birmingham. And I appreciate Justin for taking some time to join us today. Before we get back to the orthopedic clinic phone line, I do want to hit on something. I know we'll talk more Auburn LSU later in the show too, but I want to hit on something that um, happened both today and yesterday. It was recruiting news. Tom, you kind of alluded to it. One bit of good news, one bit of bad news. The bad news coming today, and it uh, revolves around the 2024 class, that Jaden Lewis out of Aniston decommitted from the Tigers. Four-star guy on three of the four recruiting services, including the on three industry ranking as a low uh, four-star guy, the number 345 player in the class. Of course, you guys yesterday were just mentioning Jalewis Solomon decommitting the previous week. He was an athlete, but more of a defensive back, so kind of a similar position. At that time, we had mentioned Lewis as still being one of the commitments still on board. Uh, There was still a couple other guys like Amon Lane, a couple others that are committed uh, for next year still. So uh, that was the position that you had depth. You are starting to lose that depth in the class. Uh, That was the bad news. The good news yesterday was that Auburn picked up a commitment for the 2025 class, and that in the form of Jordan, uh, excuse me, Jordan Crawford out of Parker High School in Birmingham. He, a four-star player right now in the 2025 class, the number 202 player according to the industry ranking, not rated by rivals, although being a four-star and as high as the number 82 player in the country on ESPN. So that adding to Auburn's 2025 class, of course, that's still in the very early going of that class. But Auburn right now, the number 10 class, if you care, for the 2025 class, or number 15 right now for 2024. So, Tom, what do you make of those two bits of recruiting news? Uh, first of all, with the decommitments, and uh, like we just talked with Justin Ferguson, is I don't think that they came as a, as a surprise to anybody. And they are positions that are not one of those grave needs like offensive line, wide receiver, things like that. Uh, so as long as it's guys that it, it didn't come as a surprise and they've maybe got some bigger dogs lined up that they're ready to try to bring in to take over, then then I'm good with that. As far as the 2025 commit, bring them on. The, the more the merrier. Uh, you want it to get, The way recruiting is nowadays uh, with that signing class being in December – uh, obviously, 2025 is still another year away, but uh, everybody's on them quick now. And so uh, if you can get guys committed to the 2025 class, you know, obviously there's a long way to go. You try to hope to keep them here, but as long as you're starting to get them committed, then that, that's big. So 
that's part of that rebuilding process that that you freeze is going to have to do with this roster because it's not where it needs to be right now and uh, you can fix it a little bit in the transfer portal, but the main way you're going to fix it is by bringing the blue chip studs in here uh, as true freshmen, and so and that's what they're doing. Um, you know, you you hope as a fan, and obviously I know also as a coaching staff, uh, that as these losses pile up, that that doesn't start deterring some guys away from here. But that's where the recruiting comes in. Um, from uh, you know, the coaching staff talking to these high school players and saying, look, you know, the reason that these losses are piling up is because we're, you know, the roster is not good, but that's why we need you. Right. We need you now to come in here and help get this thing turned around. And so that's the recruiting pitch there. And then the players that are also committed and that are solid, solidly committed that have been doing a good job on the recruiting trail, guys like Walker White, those are the guys that can, you know, if anybody starts wavering, he's a guy that can sit there and say the same thing. It's like, hey, we can go in there and do something special. We can be the ones that years down the lo- down the road they look back at and they remember that that freshman class that came in in 2024, the ones that got this whole thing turned back around. Remember that class in 24, and that's that's that pitch that they're trying to give to these kids, and hopefully they listen and don't let the losses kind of start turning them away from Auburn. Right, and, and to be honest, though, I I would think that the losses. Uh, don't matter too much in year one for recruiting uh, because you look at Jalewis Solomon, for example. Uh, are you aware of where he committed after decommitting Auburn? Yeah. I, well, he was originally supposed. Right. Everybody thought he was going to be South Carolina, then he committed to Auburn, then decommitted, then went ended up back at right. South Carolina. So, yeah. so sometimes it's still relationship based, but uh, or a lot of times, honestly, it's relationship based. So you know look optics wise auburn does not want to have a disastrous season sure uh and, and t- of course we're that's an obvious but we're talking about the recruiting side of things to help recruiting uh but at the same time when you're in year 1 again you can easily ride over the losses and still go on previous stops previous resume enthusiasm for the program so i'm not worried about the wins losses that much from a recruiting perspective this year i think that becomes more of a concern in other years and also another example is look at florida i mean florida's got this top five or six class right now and now granted this year they are starting to win but that that class ranking had already come up before this season started and all they had to go off of was a pedestrian six win season that last year so uh, again, I, I don't think that wins losses early in the process matters too much for the recruiting. It's more about those relationships and the ability to sell the vision than it is about what's actually happening on the field. Of course, right. that will continue to change over time. Let's go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line and get our first caller of the day, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one 889 Tiger Nine, first up this afternoon, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? Well, I'm recovering from my being sedated yesterday, so thanks for asking. <laughs> uh, good to hear you uh, back again. Uh, I'm, I, I feel badly more for you because uh, you, uh, an Auburn fan, uh, had a content with us being blown out, and then you couldn't even change the channels. You were live at the game and Tampa Bay loss on you. Uh, yes, but again, I I digress. That uh, I I just enjoy being there, uh, enjoy the ability to go, and enjoy the the Tampa St. Pete area. So I still had a good time. Well, good. I'm glad you were able to do that. All right, let's move real quickly, guys. Uh, I really enjoyed the uh, information and the comments made by uh, Mr. Justin Ferguson. Uh, they pretty much go uh, go in line with what I've been reading, uh, especially about the 
person who decommitted today, Christian Clemente on 247 Sports, indicated that actually uh, Auburn decided to not pursue him any longer. Okay, no, I had not read that, so that's a good, pe- uh, helpful piece of information then. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, about our team going forward, and I, uh, I'm, I guess, piggybacking on some of the uh, comments observation made by uh, Justin Ferguson. This comes from somebody, of course, anybody can say they're an insider, right, or they know somebody who's a friend of a friend on the team, right? Sure. Uh, but these are some uh, comments he said, uh, this guy posting on Auburn Undercover, that he says uh, about the team from someone who's a reliable source. One, he says about Larry Nixon. Uh, he says he continues to struggle according to the pro football focus uh, ratings. Uh, he, he says he has the fourth lowest defensive grade on the team. He has the most missed tackles of any player, seven. I didn't know that about him. Uh, some other people, he said, they're not performing well, according to uh, this person. Zion Puckett. He says he gave up a team-leading 86 passing yards against LSU. And that he also has given up the most touchdown passes, three. Um, Avery Jones, he says, is struggling with consistency at center. Um, that's another statement, probably. He also had the second-worst EFF grade among offensive players. All right. And this one also struck me too, guys, because I've been wondering, am I just maybe uh, cherry-picking things when I see things? But Jaquez Hunter has not looked like the Jaquez Hunter uh, from past years, guys. Um, he says here that Jaquez Hunter looks like the third-best running back on the team right now. And here's how it stacks up as of Saturday night. Jeremiah Cobb, 10 attempts. He got 69 yards in that game, 6.9 yards per carry. Brian Batiste. Six attempts, 20 yards, 3.3 yards to carry. Jaquez Hunter, seven attempts for 16 yards at 2.3 yards per carry. He says Hunter has the lowest yards per carry on the team and the most carries, 57. He goes on down the line there. Uh, guys, what do you think has happened to uh, Mr. Jaquez Hunter? Do you think that fiasco uh, with the, the allegations uh that had an impact or something else going on? Uh, no, I, I think that I think that two things. So one, and we've talked about this in the past, the revealing stat that quite often the backup running backs uh, average a higher yards per carry uh, and, and is deceitful a little bit. And I don't say that in reference to this year's team more so than I do in previous teams. That I always still thought Tank Bigsby was the more talented running back. But I thought that when he's in the game, you account for him differently if you're defense than Jarquez Hunter. Now, Jarquez still made plenty of great plays, not going to revise it and say he was bad or uh, you know below average or anything like that. But I think everyone still got a little too hyped up about him considering that that is kind of what number two running backs do. Now, the second thing I would say is in relation to this year's team, this year's team, excuse me, you know, look, you are in a situation where you are – kind of in a room where, again, the outside perception says that you should be far and away the best back. But in reality, when you're looking at how the recruiting profiles stack out, you're looking at the fact you're in a a different scheme than you were the last two years when you were having success. And you, you put those things together with the fact that you can't throw the ball. So when you're the projected number one running back, it's going to be even harder for you to make yards. 
I think that you have a lot of ingredients for those other guys to have the ability to produce better than you. And so I have always been, again, talking about those backup running backs as having higher yards per carry, and I think that that's part of it here. But I also think that, again, these other guys realistically are just as talented, if not more talented in the long term than Jarquez Hunter. And so you I think you I think this is still surprising. I'm not saying it's it's not because look, three point eight yards carry is not good. Like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter that, that statistic about backups when you're that low. Like usually we're talking about the lead guy having like four and a half, almost five, and the backup having six or seven and that sort of thing. What we're talking about here is Jarquez under four yards a carry, whereas I would tell you that would still be a little more acceptable in the NFL, but in college you usually have bigger yards per carry numbers than 3.8 if you're the starting back. So clearly he's not produced. Uh, again, I did not think it'd be to this level, but at no point have I ever thought that Jarquez would end up being an elite running back. And I know some people felt that way, but I never personally saw it. And so I'm still disappointed. Like I said, I still think there's room for disappointment, but I, I didn't think he was infallible. I didn't think that he would just automatically have a huge year uh, just by going out there and playing. So I think there's a lot of things that go into it, and it is a little disappointing for sure, but I'm still more optimistic long-term about some of these other guys because I think some of these guys, uh, like Austin before he got hurt, and then I think Jeremiah Cobb, that was a really good result for him against the, uh, against LSU for sure. Uh, you know, I'm still just very optimistic about those guys moving forward. Yeah, I just, you know, I've been seeing this, and I just, I am very disappointed. I thought, obviously, at least from last year anyway, uh, to see Hunter, you know, uh, just being more explosive. And the more explosive people right now are Brian Batee and Jeremiah Cobb. Yeah, and again, I could have told you that Batee, and look, Batee's starting to get more opportunities, so we'll we'll see how that continues to go because it, it was not his best game either against no. LSU. Uh, but I could have told you Batee's average might end up being weird because he could break a couple really long ones and that – uh, kind of, kind of be the be an outlier of sorts, uh, but obviously this year he has ended up being kind of a more functional, um, you know, not every down back, but that certainly more than just a gadget guy. And some of that is Hunter's struggle. Some of that is they they felt even from the preseason that the team might have a little bit more between the tackles than they realized. And look the. Uh, I, I think Brooks gave you the stat yesterday that he ran for over 1,800 yards at South Florida. So, obviously, even though it's a smaller level, he was doing something right that beyond just running off tackle. Okay. And I do want to get comments uh, um, from uh, uh, Brooks and Tom as well. So, about uh, the, the offensive guys, uh, I didn't know it was this horrendous. But this is what this other inside source says. We are now averaging this year season – Less passing yards per game than hold on to your seats. Then what team would you guess? Army or Navy? No, an, an Auburn team. We're worse than the worst Auburn team. Oh, worse than a worse Auburn team. Uh, 2011? In 2012. Oh, 2012, okay. Yeah. yeah. You know the one that went 3-9? Yeah. That's how bad our offense is this year. And he goes on to say that this really – shouldn't be happening to, to, to this team to be that bad. And he says, this can't be blamed solely on lack of talent. This is a coaching issue. You guys agree or disagree with that uh, conclusion? I, I think I think that there's blame to go all around. Uh, 
I mean, the talent is obviously not there. But, you know, the coaches have to work with the talent they have. They have to be able to put these guys in position to succeed. And uh, I think that they have sometimes failed with that. Sometimes they have had them in the perfect spot to succeed, and they just can't execute what is put in front of them. I mean, but isn't that coaching when you don't execute? No, that's no. on the players. That, the the players are the ones that but execute. Shouldn't you be doing the, the the practicing that leads to better execution? Well, they uh, well they practice. practice? Well, Steve, they practice it over and over and over again. But the the coaches can't get out there and and manipulate the players' arms and legs to make I, the play I know, happen. But you shouldn't be regressing. You should be doing something improvement. No, I know, coaching but is, I know, but I mean, there there's things that happen when I say execute. You know, like Texas A and M where. Peyton Thorne overthrows, you know, a couple of wide-open wide receivers for touchdowns. That's not coaching. That's Peyton Thorne just misfiring. That's just him not being able to make that throw. Um, that's the execution part. There are execution things, uh, mental lapses, that it happens. You don't want it to happen, but it happens. They're on the offensive line, a guy is supposed to come around and pick up a certain block, and he – fails to pick up that block and a guy comes free. I mean, those things happen. You don't want them to happen, but the coaches can't get out there and play Muppet Pat, Muppet uh, Master, Puppet Master, and, and direct the guys exactly where they got to go. They practice it over and over and over again, but, I mean, it's up to the player to execute it when they get on the field. Now, the coaches have to obviously develop them in practice but then put them in the positions to do the right thing, and that's where I've had some problem with some of the play calling and some of the ideas going in, the, the whole switching out quarterbacks and things like that, uh, the failure to adjust, uh, you know, some different things like that, that's on the coaching staff. The execution's on the players. Okay. So my follow-up question to that, do you foresee by the end of the season uh, some coordinators, assistant coaches being let go? You know, not, that, not this year. I mean, not – uh, I can I can see Philip Montgomery being yeah, in trouble. I maybe, mean, why yeah. why would why would he be the, the play devil's advocate? Why would he be safe? True, because he has been calling the plays predominantly this year. Now there is some Hugh Freeze interjection, and there's been more in recent weeks. But you can't look at things and just say for certain that the guy that is author you know helping author the what you said the worst passing attack since 2012 uh, then. You know that plus the fact that they're not scoring a lot of points. I don't think that dictates someone that's safe. I'm not guaranteeing you he gets removed, but I do think whether it's this year, or next year, or whenever, or whatever the roles look like, I do think that Hugh Freeze ultimately calls all the plays at Auburn at some point down the line. I don't know. I don't think that's this year, but at some point in a future year, Hugh Freeze will be calling all the plays. Okay, I'm just wondering. You uh, maybe the wide receivers coach might be gone. Oh, I don't. I don't know if we start going through. You know, those. You could. You could look at some changes like that. Um, but again, I don't know. I'd like to deep dive into why the receivers are because look, I, I was optimistic about it too. But if you want to just frame it sim simply as okay, you have guys from North Texas and Cincinnati and Jackson State. Are you were you really sure that they were going to be awesome? You know, like, like again, I was optimistic about it, so I count myself as being wrong. Right. But, but at the same time, you know, those are not the guys predisposed to being all SEC, all-world players, you know. And, the, and I, I don't know if that's all on a receiver's coach at the end of the day. I don't know if that's all on a coaching staff. I think that, again, you 
get guys with with the optimism of developing them a little bit more. So maybe you say they should have been developed more, but uh, you know they they have not impressed. The guys that have impressed have been predominantly guys. Well, Fairweather's been transferred, but uh, have been guys that you've had in the program actually with Jay Fair and Javarius Johnson earlier in the year. So. I I don't know I, I I don't know if I should go through every position coach there, but uh, they've got six games to try to figure something better out. Yeah, fair enough. All right, real quickly, I know my time's almost up, guys. Speaking of people in the hot seat or not, this comes from a website called The Comeback. A story by Kevin Harish. Okay, and it says Jimbo Fisher could be fired by Texas A&M. I don't know if you've seen that, but it caught my attention, so I went. And I opened it up, and, quote, this is according to football insider Bruce Feldman. He said, according to his report from college football, he said, it's not going to be enough to save his job if things don't improve. Talking about this empty buyout, which right now they said $76 million. And he says, quote, Texas A&M, I'm told, will find the money to get rid of him if he can't get this thing going. And, yes. It absolutely does matter to important folks down there that Texas has a chance to be a college football playoff team this year and that Steve Sarkeesian has been on a job for half as long as Jimbo. Felman uh, wrote this on this comment in The Athletic. Uh, what do you think, guys? Yeah, I mean, I know the guys commented a little bit on Jimbo yesterday, and I would go even more harsh and fierce than they did. I, mean, I think he will end up getting fired this year, yes. I, I think that his seat was already hot coming into this year because that's all we did was talk about it and he didn't even make a bowl game last year I think when you're four and three and you have the opportunity you will probably not be favored in two more games when you go to Ole Miss and to LSU if you're seven and five after after whatever the hell last year was and with you making god knows what money then I, I, I think you're gone. Now, I, I defended him returning for one more year because I simply said the buyout was so large and you kind of needed this to work because you've tried all different kinds of things the last decade plus and none of them are sticking and you invested a lot in this guy. Let's see if it was just a horrible one-off. But no, I mean, it's not looking like a horrible one-off at all. He, the one-off was the good year they had in, in the COVID year, and, and that's the one-off. They, they're not more than an eight-win program. Uh, with him, and as the guys talked about yesterday, with the resources, the recruiting, like I don't know how that coach is supposed to do more than eight, nine wins because you can't recruit better than they have, and you can't well, have more one. more money how invested. That, how's that even explainable when you've got all the money that you need to get all the best recruits in? You're doing you're, a bad job. Mediocre. I mean, he's doing a bad job. I mean, there's there's, there's there they are. They are not developing what they have. They're not getting it to gel. Their scheme has not been good enough to get it to gel. They've they've maybe misidentified a couple of guys in terms of what roles they could play on the team early on. They, they, they've just they've done every they've done the recruiting right and everything after that they've done wrong. And so yeah. it's development, it's scheme, it's process, it's it's their other coaches, it's it's everything. All right, finally, really finally, guys, this is it. I'm, I'm yep. honest. Last thing. 1989, on this day, what happened in Major League Baseball? In 1989, I don't know. I don't know. The World Series game was postponed because of a 6.9 oh, earthquake. Okay. Oh, this is oh, wow. the, earth, yeah, the, day, the, the anniversary of the San Francisco earthquake. Okay. Yep, San Francisco Giants in Game 3 with Oakland Athletics. Yeah. Well, so that's it, guys. And tomorrow, let's have some fun with Mr. Logan Reaver, okay? 
All right. All right. All right. Thank you, guys. Uh, as always, my time is up. I do thank you for the time you do give me. And, uh, Ryan, it's always good to hear you back again. So tomorrow, guys, we'll do it again. Uh, and uh, have a safe afternoon and evening. And uh, Oregon, no matter what anybody else tells you. Oregon, Steve, we appreciate that phone call. That is Retire Word AM Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. And as you hear the music, we are out of time for hour number one. But stay tuned. More of your phone calls today coming up ahead. If you want to give us a call, 334-887-3401 or toll-free, 1-889-TIGER-9. More on Auburn LSU. More on the college football world as a whole coming up after this timeout. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday edition of the program. If you missed hour number one, had a conversation with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Also had a phone call from Retire War Dam Steve, and also updated everyone on Auburn football recruiting. One decommitment for the 24 class, one commitment for the 25 class in the last 24 hours or so. All right, as we move through this second hour of the program, still want to talk a little bit more about Auburn LSU here, fellas. I know that you guys rehashed a lot of it yesterday. But I want to go ahead and present this thought to you. And look, we already know what the answer is. We already know this is not happening. Uh, we know from Justin Ferguson, you know, he, his opinion still is uh, that it's okay to keep trying to ride out with Thorne at least a little bit and try to figure out some, some different concepts. But I do want to go ahead and plant my flag that halfway into the year, my now, my now preference is that Robbie Ashford would become the starter again. That that is my preference now because as the guy as everyone's been alluding to, look, this season already at 3 and 3, it doesn't matter in my opinion it doesn't really matter the limitations of what Ashford can and can't do. We know he's not a great thrower of the football. That's that that was clear last year and there's nothing this year. I think he's at 50% through the sample size he has. There's nothing this year that suggests all of a sudden he's become a marketably different or better passer. But what has become clear is that Peyton Thorne 
is actually not as big of a passing upgrade as we thought. Yeah. That numbers-wise, yeah, I know the completion percentage is a little higher, but it's not effective. It is not affecting for long uh, stretches of time. It's not effective for long, deep shot passing. Look, and honestly, a lot of those positive numbers for him are still accrued mainly in the Sanford game with a little splash of, of UMass game earlier. Against Power 5 competition, look, he finally got his first 100-yard passing game. Barely. Wasn't it 101 yards, 102 yards? He barely, barely got there. And I and I said last week, because I'm trying to be as consistent as I can be, I said last week, if you're not going to pass successfully on a defense this poor at defending the pass, I there's just no pass production to be had on this team. Right. It's just not there. There's not enough playmaking on the edge. There's not enough pass blocking. There's not a lo- enough good decisions being made in the in the quarterback game. There's some bad plays being called. You can you can go through and insert all those things in the equation. Now certainly different values there, different parts of the blame pie and of the of the percentage there, but you you've got too many factors to fix with just a simple, oh, he's just going to figure it out this week, or they're just going to call the plays better, or Shane Hooks will win a 50-50 ball finally. Or, you know, right. like there's not – there's all those things exist to some degree to the point of if you can only muster what was 150 team pass yards and 101 with Thorne against LSU, it's not going to happen. And so my opinion now is that you should try to maximize the run game and that by maximizing the run game, that those eight, that eight out of sixteen that Asher will will inevitably have, maybe those eight are actually a way more productive eight than Peyton Thorne's fourteen out of twenty three or twenty five or whatever, because those fourteen completions will not equal more than ninety or a hundred or one hundred and ten yards against a Power Five team. Right. However, those eight or nine Asher completions might equal one hundred and thirty or forty. Because you just might have three to four really big plays because of play action. The hope would be you would confuse the hell out of somebody just a couple of times. You won't do it all game, but just a couple of deep shots, just a couple of wide open stuff that you would hopefully generate by everyone selling out on the run. And so I'm to the point where I think the best move is go Ashford. I know that Ferg said he doesn't know the whole offense. That might be true. Get him ready. Get, still, get get him to learn as much of it as he can. Build off the package or two. Because, look, he's been in enough to where I think it's more than just one package at this point. I think it's multiple packages because we've seen a different stuff in the Georgia game. We saw a couple deep shots, although it was a good point to the same player, Braden Frazier, which is not who you normally think of when you think of weaponry and you think of down-the-field shots. But, nevertheless, that's what it was against uh, LSU. So, again, I totally get that, that Astrid's just not as comfortable – or as as Thorne, or or is just not comfortable with a lot of the playbook. But again, I digress. Is Thorne incredibly comfortable? Has he been performing the RPOs like you would like? Has he been again throwing the football down the field like you would like? I mean, again, it's not about. Is it, I hate it because this is not a good thing. It's not as much about what Ashford can do for you. It's what Thorne is proving to not be able to do for you in any really better rate than Ashford is or, or a, a, a minuscule percentage better than what Ashford is. And so that's what I learned in the LSU game is I don't have a big picture thought for what 2024, 2025, 2026 look like. Uh, I know what they need to look like. and They need to look better than this. 
I don't have those those big thoughts, those big picture thoughts. My thought is still contained to this year, and that is I think they have a better chance of winning if they just lean into the run game and they lean into what Ashford can do with his legs and they stop worrying about is Peyton Thorne going to complete a deep ball or make the right RPO read or just anything like that. I, you guys open up before if you disagree. Let's have at it. Let's go for it. What, are, what do you guys think? No, I I do agree with you, and I, I don't think it's going to happen, but I do agree with you. Um, look, Auburn came out in that LSU game, and they showed that they their whole idea that what they were going to do is try to exploit that secondary. They came out pass happy, and it didn't work. It just nothing about that works, and it's everything that you mentioned. Peyton Thorne makes wrong decisions. Uh, when he does make the right decisions, the wide receivers are not able to get open or they can't catch the ball. Uh, offensive line breaks down uh, and, and doesn't give him the protection. You throw a swing pass out, and, and all you need is one block from somebody out there on the outside, and they can't make that one block, and so it ends up getting hit for like a one-yard gain. It, it's, it's just not working. And, and they tried it against a very bad secondary. They tried to be very pass-happy against a very, very bad secondary, and it still didn't work. So I agree. If your success, if you think your success is going to be on the ground, then Robbie Ashford needs to be the guy because he is the guy that gives you much more of a run threat than Peyton Thorne. And so that's something that they've got to look at. And, uh, yeah, I mean, going forward, run, as I say, run the damn ball. Uh it may have to be that. Um, you know, everybody talks about you have to have a passing attack in the SEC. Well, I mean, right now you don't. And if running the ball a lot may can open up a little bit of that, then sure. And that running is going to come from the RPO because defenses are going to stack the line and take away just your normal running play. So you have to run some RPO to keep them off balance and give yourself some options. So, uh, yeah, I think Robbie's the guy that can do that. And, uh, yeah, they're going to have to do something because, I mean, what they're doing right now is obviously not working at all. Brooks, what do you think? I mean, I know, again, this I'm still living in somewhat of a fantasy world because we already yeah. know what Hugh Free says. This is not what's happening on Saturday sure. against Ole Miss. They're going to play Peyton Thorne. They're going to play Robbie Ashford some, too. I'm going to go ahead and break the news that I know they they didn't say it this way, but we're going to have a conundrum at some point, and someone's going to be very frustrated at the timing of when this all occurs and how often it's occurring. I, I think you're going to have the same problems you've had all year, but we know Peyton Thorne is playing. Do you agree with that course of action? Where are you at? I don't know because I I still you know I I, I still want the the element of a passing game there because if you you know if you just go you know run the ball 85 percent of the time put rpos in there you know at some point you're gonna you know you're, you're gonna have uh the you're gonna get defenses that are you know selling out and and making those you know getting the stop and then you're not moving the ball at all i, I you still need to have that that you know straight pass game threat there um because you know, it, then you're putting the you're, you're putting the RPOs. Yeah, you still have that passing option in there, but you're putting that decision into the the, the quarterbacks, uh, whoever the quarterback is at the time's hands, and to make that that play um, or to make that read. And sometimes the defense, you know, disguises it well enough that they make the wrong read. I don't know. I 
you know, I, I think right now I would like to see Robbie Ashford come back in and and do that and, and start the game. I still I, I want them to to have a, I want I would like it to be a package for Peyton Thorne to come in and you know and and pass the ball. But the thing that I'm I'm you know I, I say that I want more passing. You just don't have reliable wide receivers, and it's you know we talked about it a few weeks ago, with, and I know we've beat this uh, this stat into the ground, but that Georgia game, six of the nine incompletions that Peyton Thorn threw were uh, capable of being caught or should have been caught, and so you know you have one of those performances from Peyton Thorne. You're like, all right, there's something here. And you have a performance like you had this past weekend and you just don't know what, you know, what, which one you're going to get week in and week out. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I think when you're just, you know, running up a read option and you, you, if we're, if you truly want to go down the path of run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, you got to put Robbie Ashford in. I know Peyton Thorne can move the ball and can, can run it, but if you're just going straight run the ball, you need a guy that's got more, uh, speed plus, you know, it, it's, it, I, you know, I hate to, you know, because he's, he's been a starting quarterback in the power five, but Robbie Ashford was starting quarterback here last year. He kind of knows, you know, I know it was a different offense, uh, different coaching staff and all, but he, he kind of knows what it takes to win at Auburn. Uh, he, he, and so I don't know. I, I still, there is a part of me and it may just be the delusional side of me that, that says there's still something in there that uh, you can get out of Peyton and that you could you can have, be successful winning football games with Peyton Thorne because you saw it a few years ago that he won games at Michigan State. At, uh, Peyton Thorne won games at Michigan State. Uh, I, I think you just need a uh, you you need to be. I just don't you know. I think right now for this season and like you said, Ryan, not looking at the not looking at 2024, 2025, whatever. This season, I I just I think I'm starting to get on the 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 wagon with uh to put Robbie Ashford back in there uh, as the full-time starter, but again, some some part of me still says that there you could be successful with Peyton Thorne, but it it's getting smaller and smaller by the week. Yeah. All right, we uh, we've got another phone call here on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line three three four eight eight seven three four zero one locally toll free one triple eight nine Tiger Nine. Next up on the show this afternoon, Die Hard Die. Die Hard Die is with us. Die Hard Die, how are you this afternoon? Hey, War Eagle guys. War Eagle. Hey, uh, all right. So I know this is a talk show, and, and this is what us guys do, and, and women, and we call it. But. You know, these coaches are out there at practice with these guys. Uh, I mean, I hope Robbie, I put him in. I hope he wins this every game. But I remember a couple of games ago, he threw an out pattern, and it was almost an interception. I mean, these guys see them in practice. We saw him throw a bomb, which is probably the easiest pass for a high school quarterback to throw, especially when you're a scrambler and everyone's expecting a run. That was, if you saw that pass, and you're like, oh, you put him in. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. Again, they see him at practice. They see who's doing what. I think they're just both bad. You know, they both have their pros and, and I think more cons than pros. But, again, I just beg the Auburn people out there, you guys, me, and anyone listening, that um, just stop the ridiculousness of, you know, we got to fire this code. I mean, we're going to get Deion Sand. I mean, just goodness gracious. Let's just try to comfort each other through these tough times 
Um, you know, we had a great – we were all kind of pumped after Georgia. Um, people that are upset about this game, this LSU game, were down in Death Valley, 6 p.m., against an awesome, awesome offense. Who didn't – I thought we did better than expected. I mean, if, if you're a realist, come on, guys. Just Now I'm not talking about you guys. I'm just the Auburn crazies out there. And maybe they just get on the Internet. Maybe they don't even listen to this stuff. They just complain. But – that's what's hurting me. Um, again, why I called and called almost every week when y'all, when everyone's trying to fire Gus, because I didn't want this, and I saw the possibility of this happening. So we're here. I get it. Um, but let's just console each other, love each other. Like you said, this is the worst team that he'll ever have. You know, we have to just hope for little wins here and there. Like I said, um, we'll catch a team off guard and, and, and win. We should win six games. Um, but let's stop the, the civil war like we're having in this country. Auburn's better than that. Our fans are better than that. We got a 6 p.m. game. Go get some beers, hug each other, and have a good time. War Eagle. War Eagle. That sounds like a good idea to me. That's Die Hard Die joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Yeah, no, I at no way, and, and he knows, and, and he said this too, I'm not endorsing uh, nor want um, any sort of uh, freeze firing talk. That is absolutely no, ridiculous crazy, yeah. uh we did mention oc earlier i simply just suggested with phil montgomery that they're gonna have to take a look uh at play calling duties at some point down the road i do think again i will reiterate i think that at some point before his tenure at auburn is done whether it's just a few years or it's a couple decades i do think Hugh freeze will be calling plays one day for auburn because i think that that's his nature i think that that will prove ultimately more effective I think in the long run I think it was effective for him in his previous coaching stops but again his reasoning for it which I understand because he understands what the foundation is the foundation is not who freezes play calling that the foundation is the talent required to make the plays effective uh, and that's why he is recruiting a lot right now rather than uh, doing the heavy game planning the heavy lifting of that offensively he's still leaving that up to Philip Montgomery he's just getting a little bit more involved here as the season goes along and you can tell it's it's aching him because he goes on programs and and stuff and and the Tiger talk and, and talks about uh you know I I want to see more RPOs and dadgummit and blah 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 uh and of course he has the power to do that as a head coach but again he is trying to let Montgomery have this play out for him it's just not been going well so far the, the thing I'll go back to in quarterback play Again, and, and look, I, I get the, the, the part of it where obviously we don't see him on a day-to-day basis, but I simply do say that we've seen what it looks like on the field, and I think everyone can acknowledge that Thorne on the field not getting it done. And my my proclamation for Afford, uh, for Asher excuse me, is not about what I think he'll all of a sudden start doing in the passing game because I don't think that that's going to be no. any better. But what I think he can do in the run game is more than what Thorne can do. And I think that if you lean into a run-heavy offense, then I think that you will get more results, or at least at least the same. I don't think it would be significantly worse than what's going on in the last few weeks. Uh, so I took these numbers. Well, let me close with this, or at least this segment of it. These are power five game numbers, okay? So, because you look at the overall numbers and you see Thorne's like 60%, it's like, oh, that's not far off his Michigan State stuff and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, here's his power five numbers. Here's both their power five numbers for that matter. I did them both um, in the research department. So, Peyton Thorne, power five games so far. That is Cal, that is Cal, 
That is Texas A&M. That is Georgia. That is LSU. He is 37 of 68 for 322 yards. Two touchdowns, two interceptions. So what that averages out to, that is obviously less than 100 yards a game. That is 54.4%. Again, and that's against Power 5 competition. And that is basically... Uh, averaging eh, about nine completions a game in the Power Five off of roughly uh, 17 attempts. So he's basically averaging nine completions on 17 pass attempts, 54.4%, 8.7 yards of completion in Power Five competition, and that is about 80 yards a game. That if If, again, for the guy that is labeled as more of the passing option, Look, that does not speak well about Robbie Ashford. But that's not productive enough to be the passing option guy. Like, it's just not. If that's your thing, that, oh, well, I feel a little bit better about uh, about Thorne passing it, okay, fine. Like, I'm not some Robbie Ashford's going to throw for 300 yards guy or 200-yard guy or anything like that. It's not about Ashford. It's about 80-something yards. The game's not a passing threat. Defenses will not view that as a pass. They don't respect it. That's also why, because Steve asked earlier this uh, this show about why Jarquez Hunter's at like four yards a carry, 3.8 yards a carry. The other guys look better. It's because when Jarquez Hunter's in the game and Peyton Thorne's in the game, they're going to sell out for run. Yeah. And damn it if they're wrong and Auburn actually completes a pass, it's only going for eight yards. It's not going to go for 38. It's not be a deep ball because every time Auburn – look, these are not wrong reads in RPO offenses to take the one-on-one shot down the sideline, except when Auburn cannot make the one-on-one plays with the receivers. That's when the receiver element part of it – the decision's not wrong, just inherently at face value in a RPO offense or an RPO play. But when the guys are not making the 50-50 catches, then all of a sudden, incomplete. Then that's your deep shot. And it didn't work. It was not not good. And so that that's my point here, is that it's not about thinking Astrid is going to be a revelation. We know he's not in the passing game. We know he's not. I won't argue for the contrary. What I will argue is he will help the run game tremendously, a, a, a marketable difference there. And I don't think he'll be worse in the passing game. I... I, I the only way to be worse would be to start turning it over at a rampant rate because Thorne has not turned it over at the rampant rate. Again, two interceptions and 68 passes in Power 5 competitions, fine. Be grant, to gr- grant you this, though, 68 pass attempts in Power 5 competition, usually you would average that, – that would be more of a two or two-and-a-half game sample size, not a four. So that's more so saying he's turning it over every game, game-and-a-half worth of pass attempts. So that would add up to 10, 11 by the end of it if you had a full – slate of pass attempts. So, again, it's not incredible, I guess, when you average things out. But, again, it's not debilitating, that part of it. I mean, that's, again, it's just two in Power 5 competition. So, again, I that's that LSU game meant a lot to me, not because Auburn got crushed, although that's not on the surface good either. So we, I, I didn't care what the score was when I said what I said last week. I needed to see pass production from Peyton Thorne. Give me a reason to keep you in. And he didn't do that. I don't feel like he did that. So that that's why I'm here today arguing something that's still not going to happen anyway uh, because at least not this week. Peyton Thorne will play. He's going to start. There's going to be packages for both. We're all going to get confused mid-game about when and what's going on. 
Uh, but that's just why my argument has now changed to I was wanting to give it half a season, wanted to give it the LSU game against the number one whatever the pass defense, 121 at the time. I don't know what it is now. It's better than a 121 after giving up 150 yards. Uh, but what the point was, needed to see the passing part from the, the passing quarterback, did not see the passing part from the passing quarterback. So that's where I've landed for this week. Maybe Peyton will surprise us. I hope the kid does. He's going to play. I hope he completes every single pass. I hope he makes me look like a dodo bird. I, I, look, I hope he's awesome. There's just nothing in four games of Power 5 competition that suggests that he's all of a sudden going to do that and then not on the heels of a, a porous pass defense all of a sudden starting to look like an LSU defense of the, of, of the past when clearly they have not been this year. So... That's the take there. We're going to take our first time out of the 4 o'clock hour. If you want to give your thoughts on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Sports Call returns after this time out. Timeout. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. Follow Sports Call on Twitter at Sports Call AU. Like us on Facebook at Sports Call AU. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9 on this Tuesday. Halfway home on this Tuesday, Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brooks Childress, talking all things Brazilian steakhouses during yeah. the timeout. Uh, and I'm going to refrain from continuing on with that. Please do. I'm very I, hungry. Because I'm going to get hungrier as well and uh, then lament the fact that I cannot have Brazilian steakhouse like I did last night in the Tampa area. Should, should that be our new investment opportunity, is open a Brazilian steakhouse in Auburn? I would invest whatever I could. <laughs> that still may not be close to enough. In fact, I know it will not be close to enough, but I'll help in whatever way I can. I, I You know, I, I love cooking the Brazilian stuff myself, but I, I would, man, I would love to go up to Atlanta to Fogo. Yeah, then that's my first experience uh, right. with it, which was this summer after a Braves game. And uh, you work up a sweat in the Atlanta July heat, yeah. uh, you'll work up an even larger appetite. I refrained from lunch that day, and I refrained from lunch yesterday in Tampa, and uh, went to Terra Gaucha. Again, very same concept, uh, same price basically as Texas Day Brazil or or Fogo de Chao and yeah. in Atlanta and. The now, are you there by yourself, or you got to went by myself? Well. No, not in the July. We had some friends there. But, uh, yeah, went by myself. Reservation for one, 8 o'clock, baby. When you know that uh, more gettable. And I think there was a few tables open at 8, but it was still, still about 80, 85%. So yeah. still felt good enough to do that. And, man, here's the other thing. 
I know this is a thrilling conversation for those looking to tune in Auburn football. <laughs> we'll get to that get to that again in a second. We've got plenty of time to talk about. Got another hour and a half. Yeah. Uh, I will say this, and this is just something you got to learn and develop as time goes on. That's only my second experience. You get in and get out pretty fast because once you flip that green thing over, green circular, whatever. They just start – it's just un, just one after another. I mean, you get five or six different meats on your plate at one point if right. you're not just, like, straight shoving down your throat. Uh, and so I was out of there in, like, 45 minutes, 40 minutes. Yeah. Which, which, do, which I know some people get out in 45 minutes at, at any old restaurant. Uh, that's not the point. The point is for the amount of meat you have consumed and the amount of options you have because you also go up to the, the big market – not market, I don't know why I keep using that word, but the huge table serving area in the middle of the restaurant right. where you have eight way too many kinds of salad, you have way too many kinds of deli meats, you have way too many kinds of fruit, and you by the time you've eaten that, by the time you eat 9, 10, 11 types of meat, and some of them twice, yeah. that should have taken longer than 35 to 40 minutes. That's all I'm saying. But I was out of there from, from the time I sat my touch down to the time I was in my vehicle, 45 minutes. And I was enough food for a day, day plus. <laughs> so anyway, great experience. I don't think that will come to Auburn anytime soon, although Auburn Opelika area is quite growing. But if there is ever Brazilian steakhouse in this area, even if it's 20 years from now, um, I'm going to be concerned for my health, <laughs> concerned for my for my uh, really everything about me, weight, health, arteries, um, then wallet, bank account, anything with those two items, health and finances, would be problematic. So actually don't come because then you will t- lead me to temptation. All right, moving on. Back to sports, back to Auburn. Any more uh, items from Auburn LSU we want to discuss? A little disappointing run game. I mean, on top of the fact that Auburn still did not open the passing attack successfully as a unit, you know, 15 to 27 for 154. Again, Thorne was 12 to 23 for 102. Didn't open that up, but didn't run the ball. I guess you didn't have time to run the ball as many times because you were already down two to three possessions right. for the word go. So, I mean, it was pretty close to 50 50 play calling when you, when you average it out because you'd factor in a couple scrambles too. Um, my my yeah. my biggest thing is the offense did what I expected it to do, which was struggle. No surprise sure. there. I my biggest thing is I was just really shocked that the defense okay. gave up. Yeah, especially the chunk yards that they gave up. And you go through and look at the drive chart, and some of those drives that LSU had were were very quick drives. And I mean, the first drive of the game, they're in the end zone in four plays, and I mean, it was easy. I, I mean, that was about one of the easiest drives that you could possibly imagine in four plays, and bam, they're in the end zone. And you're like, good Lord. Like, that really just looked easy. Um, you know, they, uh, they a, a couple of times they'd get the drives going, and Auburn would kind of raise up and, and, and get the field goal. But, you know, they're, you know, just looking at their second touchdown of the game was a six yard, six play, 65 yard drive. So, I mean, six plays there in the end zone. Uh, you know, let's see, I'm trying to look at some of these others. I, I'll know. give you the quick – I'll give you what my takeaway is. So, first four drives of the game, LSU scores. Yep. Now, two of those are field goals, but they're all 50-plus yard drives, so it's not like field position was play, conducive yeah. to it. You gave up full drives. You finally got a little rhythm there where you get 
two stops because of one's a punt, one's an interception. Right. And then the half ends. But the second half, here's the drive chart. Pretty simple. Touchdown, 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 touchdown. Yeah. No One punt the whole game, which you knew would be tough, but you're not out of the game at 20 to 10. Right. Like, like here's the point. You started the game as poorly as you could, and you, you kind of steadied yourself for a brief moment, a very brief moment. You have 20 to 10 after a field goal drive to start the, the, the second half. I get it. Still doesn't look great. 2010 is not something you feel all warm and cozy about. But then that's where they get but a you're in the kick game. return. Right. Well, yes. That's one, so touchdown there. Six play, 39 yard. Yep. And then you go three and out, leads to another very quick drive, four plays, four six, play, seven yards. yards. Then Auburn has one last you know, gasp effort to get back in it. Again, right. very far-fetched. Not saying there's a high win probability at 34 to 18 with – 11 or 12, 13 minutes left, whatever it was, early fourth quarter. But then again, no resistance. 11 play, 75-yard drive, touchdown. Six minutes, five seconds out of the yeah, fourth quarter. Makes the, a, cuts the game in half, ends the game. I mean, that end the game. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. they milked six They milked six oh five off the clock, 11 plays, uh, before Diggs had that five-yard rush uh, that put it up 41-18. to 18. And then, of course, they had the, uh, the, the touchdown late in the game on a seven-play drive. But – I mean, outside of that 11-play drive there in the fourth quarter, you look at those drives, they were quick. I mean, there's four plays, six plays, seven plays. Um, huge chunk plays that they were getting. That's, again, that's where my disappointment was, is the defense was not able to keep Auburn in that game. You knew the offense was going to struggle. You just At least I, I felt the offense was going to struggle, even though LSU's defense is bad. I, that offense has just not shown me anything that gives me any sort of hope that they're going to suddenly figure it out. So I figured the offense was still going to have its struggles. I just was really hoping the defense would have enough in them to keep that around that 28 points, 30 points, to maybe give you a chance. No. No. that No. This yeah. couldn't. They uh Jane Daniels was just too much for him. The rest of those guys were too much for him. Uh, and it started out quick. Like I said, as soon as that, that four-play drive started and it looked that easy and then Auburn comes out promptly with a what, false start penalty on their first play, I think, and then three and out, defense right back on the field. I'm like, oh, boy, here we – this is about to be dumb. Yeah. It, it, this is really about to be dumb, and, and it got dumb. It got dumb there at the end. Auburn was, was – again, once they cut it to 2010 – not the the season. That was a great season. Uh, but once they cut the score to twenty to ten, again, I was thinking not that they would win, but like okay, they're on the verge of of kind of hanging around. The right. line was eleven. You're down ten early second half. Okay, just just keep this a manageable game. They had the opportunity to do it. it they didn't, and it gets to thirty four ten. You're like blowout city. Another t- you have the the second final touchdown. You get two point conversion. Technically, still two possessions. 34-18 is like, okay, you're not going to win because you're still down 16 with like 12 minutes left, but you can keep this to a manageable, non-embarrassing situation. <laughs> you get one more stop. You get one more score. Make else you think about it for a moment. Right. Okay. Like, there's a pathway to reasonable. Nope. Two more touchdowns, two more failed drives, 30-point game. Well, uh, I saw another stat. It was the largest non- Alabama or Georgia defeat for Auburn and 
X amount of years. I know that's very helpful and very descriptive for everyone. But in other words, it was the worst Auburn been beaten in SEC play by someone that was not Alabama or Georgia. Yeah. And Since probably that Texas A&M game here. Yes. Yes, that was it. 2012 yeah. when Manziel did the Manziel thing. Yeah. So over 60, a decade. You gave yeah. up 60-something points yep. A&M on your own home field. Yep. So that's exactly what it was. So a, a rough – Again, it was it was not like there was a redeeming quality in either either side of the ball. I mean, even you had two sacks, which was like, okay, that's fine, whatever. But they went for a total of negative four. And it also, I was looking at it, it was finally the first half a sack for Jalen McLeod, yeah. who came into this year as needed to be best pass rusher. Now, through six games, half a sack. I think Asante had another one. So he's got a couple in the year, but you you didn't. That, the point was, and it it's been gone over, but you didn't have a pass rush. You didn't really win the line of scrimmage at all uh, because LSU uh, ran the ball plenty fine at two hundred and thirty eight yards for an average of six point three a carry. So however they wanted to do it, whether it was Daniels or Logan Diggs, who was their number one back, even some John Emery late, didn't matter. However they wanted to do it. Uh, so you didn't win there. You didn't make any great plays other than uh, you didn't make one uh, good play in the secondary where you had the tip ball, you had the interception. But other than that, just wide open, guys. Zone, man, didn't matter. Y- again, it's hard to find a redeeming quality in that one. And I think it also makes it a little more disappointing. Well, there's two more things to make this point. There's a lot of disappointment. Disappointment abounds. Uh, you came off the bye week, and you, you looked as bad as you did all year. And you just played what was as good of a game as you played all year. I mean, Georgia was in trouble. You led in the third quarter. You tied with six minutes, seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. You had every, I mean, you had the opportunity to win the game against Georgia, who has their own problems now with the Bowers injury, but for all the world, still could end up going to the playoff and doing all the things that Georgia would like to do. So you had done a legitimately good thing and it feels like it was so long ago mm-hmm. now. And I, and I, I don't know if there's an, another question in there somewhere, but I mean, you, you have Ole Miss coming up this week. This is the fourth stretch. I don't even want to say two. I'll say this with LSU coming up or excuse me, Ole Miss coming up. You dropped the three and four. That was not like that's some earth shattering Record there. I mean that that was what that I, was what I the predictions. What I predicted was going to happen. Right. It was I. I said they would lose four in a row and win four in a row. And then yeah. your difference. You had them seven five. I had them seven five. But your difference is that they lose at Arkansas. Mm-hmm. But but surprise Bam in the Iron Bowl. Which by yeah. the way, that should still be a close Iron Bowl. I I would. I mean I, that still looks feasible. Yeah. That that should still still be a close Iron Bowl. Um, but I said they'd lose four, then win four, and then lose the Iron Bowl. Nevertheless, I mean, it's not like the record is that surprising. I guess it's just disappointing to see no str- real strides being made right. in this football well, team. Well, and it's disappointing that the passing game is as bad as it is because you thought you had a quarterback sure. in that was going to not set the world on fire, but at least give you a fighting chance in some of these games through the air. And it's just not. I mean, it it is I, – I hate to say it, it almost feels worse because – it almost feels worse because you're trying now so hard because you got a guy in there that is supposed to be the passing quarterback. At least last year, 
you weren't trying to throw it all over the field because you knew what Robbie could not do. Um, and you it, knew what T.J. Finley couldn't do. Exactly. And, you know, yeah. So you weren't trying to throw it all over the field. But, th- you know, this year they keep trying, and it's like they're trying and trying and trying. Maybe Peyton Thorne's going to figure it out. Maybe the line's going to figure it out. Maybe the receivers are going to figure it out. And they haven't. And so it feels like it's worse because they keep trying the passing game, and it's just not working at all. And it's so frustrating. Um, did you mention the third down conversions? Because I just looked at No, I haven't. But, I mean, you can put two and two together. I know Auburn didn't succeed on many of them. Well, I don't feel like they even forced that many. Did they force well, that many? No, no not really. Um, it's more about the offense of uh, not converting them? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, but again, it's something that we have discussed uh, at length uh, with how bad Auburn is on oh, yeah. third down. Finally saw them. Yep. Yeah. Six of nine for LSU. That's not nice. And then three of twelve for three Auburn. Three of twelve for Not Auburn. Very good. No, that's terrible. You need to be around fifty percent. I mean, three of twelve on third down. Yeesh, that's bad. Yeah, and again, that's th- really, really that bad. goes into uh, the team. In particular, just it's not going to function on third and medium or, or no. worse. It's not going to function because the passing attack's not been good. And then they've still had their issues. They've not been perfect by any means on the short yardage run situations either. Of course, the Georgia horror stories come to mind. But uh, it's also not surprising because you, at no point, like there's not a situation that exists. And this is, again, this is why I've gone to the to the Ashford part of it where I think that it just should be run a million times and, and use Ashford and have a play-action pass here and there, and and that should be the offense for this year. The reason is there is not a situation that exists where a defense would respect Auburn's passing game. Agree or disagree? Is there a situation, uh, a personnel grouping, a place on the field, a down and distance? Is there any situation where the defense should respect Auburn's passing game right now? Not right now, no. And so then why why would you play Thorne at that point? Well, and yeah. you could even talk me into I look, I'm not I'm not trying to be unreasonable. If you want to say throw Holden Gurner out there, because there was some of that talk a couple weeks ago. Throw him out there. Like that's not the preference for me, but I'll hear you out. It's something different. But you've got so many problems. I'm gonna tell you I'm not optimistic because yeah. it's not going to change receiver separation. It's not going to change. Like, yeah, he might make cl- uh, quicker decisions, but he'll make the same RPO reads on the one-on-one in the outside. Will the receiver win the 50-50 battle all of a sudden? Probably not. You know, will, will you all of a sudden have receivers that feel like the high five-star caliber guys that they're trying to recruit right now, like the Perry Thompson world? No. And then will the play calling all of a sudden have zero flaws? It, does, it has flaws. It's not – again, it's not my – biggest percentage of the blame pie at all it's in the blame pie though it's a it's an ingredient but it by no means will, will then guarantee that you won't have the random bad play call here and there or i mean robbie ashford will continue to exist so are you guaranteed the same quarterback rotation where you okay you've tried this you're not, you've tried thorn you can't pass for more than eight yards of completion more than 100 yards a game or more than 54 percent against power five competition so let's try Gurner in that role. Well, if you're still rotating in Asher to insert time here, rhythm is an issue. Play calling there, play or decision making with personnel is an issue still. 
there's too many issues to say that it's just one thing that you can fix and then if Thorne will just do that or if somebody just do this and they call this here or this receiver runs this way instead and blah like it, it it's so far gone and 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 it's proof of that when you cannot throw against LSU and look again I will digress that this is nothing to do with big picture things. I'm not now all of a sudden sounding some alarm for the next couple of years. We all get it. I, I'm not worried about the future. I'm not. But I do want this team to still maximize what it can. Sure. I don't think that's unreasonable. I still want this team to go to a bowl game. I don't want it to mess up somehow and lose to Vandy because they, for some reason, for some reason, because that's that stat, they haven't won in Nashville since 02. They've only played two or three times. Right. But it just so happens that it's the worst Auburn team's period. <laughs> hey, we got Vandy this year. That's a problem usually for Auburn football when it's in Nashville. It usually means a bad season's about to occur. Uh, so, you know, that is, again, big picture, not, not a whole lot to do with it. There's going to be a lot of players that will make or break this program that have nothing to do with this roster right now. Uh, but I just think that trying to maximize this year, which why not? I think that you need uh, a significant change there. But again, in case you have not heard, it will still be Peyton Thorne this weekend in some role. It will still be Robbie Ashford alongside of Thorne in some role. We'll see how it plays out against Ole Miss. There's also the Ole Miss offense to talk about. We'll talk about that later in the week. I don't, it's too much negativity for <laughs> one program because yeah. I don't want to bark up the tree of what Ole Miss's offense is capable of doing. So we'll do some other things in hour number three, including the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. We'll also talk a little bit more about the rest of the country this past weekend in college football, where the rankings are st- uh, ranking out right now, notable performances, and that sort of thing. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday, as uh, we get again, Tom, I, I tell you what, man, I just like this is such a simple thing. When I can go through the whole three hour show, right, and say, We're excited to be with you this afternoon, or the show continues this afternoon, just some semblance of this afternoon. But as I look outside in the month of October, and I know that the daylight dwindles and dwindles to oh. where. We're getting close to when we get out of here at six. Dark. It's all getting dark. Yeah. I tell you what, man, it gets hard to uh, 
hard to say afternoon anymore. <laughs> and then that makes me sad because I like it when it's daylight for longer. Uh, well, but, uh, see, I, yeah, I mean, I, I get that, but I, I don't like leaving work when it's dark, man. Yeah, I get it. But you, I know you like fall more than summer. See, that's where you're going. They, that's yeah, exactly I know where right. you're going. Because when, the, when I think Brooks does too. When the day gets short, that means it's time to pull out the the jackets and the fleece and get ready for some cold. Get, bring me the cold. Give, <laughs> give me cold. I want fall temperatures. Fall temperatures, not winter. I want fall temperatures all year long with summer daylight. Can we have that? It's called California. Uh, so, no. Ah, We're in Alabama. Just it. last I checked. Uh, most, or not most California, some of California, not all of California. It can, it can still very southern part get very toasty and... Uh, northern part get quite cold uh, at times, so depends on where you are. But yeah, not not here, man. Sorry about that. We'll we'll try again. Uh, never. Anyway, <sighs> yeah, it's just, just saying. It's just not going to change for you. But again, wishful thinking. Or you could move to L.A. Yeah. Th- have you thought about that? No. No sports call L.A. Where you just talk about the Rams and Lakers. I would not like to talk about the Chargers. Every single I don't day. have to talk about them unless they do bad things like they did last night. Yeah, but that, today would be the day I would talk yeah, about them. Yeah, that's true. So I say not enough people care. Again, <laughs> just the, the, not enough people care about the Chargers or USC or, or any of that. Anyway, uh, let's continue on with the show today. Time for the Sports Call 5 at 5. It's presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and your friends and Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that too. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them online at sclandgroup.com. Today for the Sports Call 5 at 5, Presented by Southeastern Land Group. We're going to look at the five. I know the guys looked at a couple of them, but we're going to look at the complete list of the non-Auburn SEC games last weekend because, well, there were five of them. So let's hit on them now. Number one. Number one team in the country, Georgia Bulldogs. They won the battle, but at what cost? They win 37-20 over Vanderbilt. Brock Bowers, as you obviously know by now, high ankle sprain, had a surgery on Monday. He is not out for the full season. I know that has gone around a little bit. He is not necessarily out for the full season. I don't know who said that. <laughs> it may have been said on the show yesterday. Now he I might don't know by who. I, he might. Okay, it was, but they need to be kicked off the show immediately. <laughs> anyway, I I'll was talking to y'all tomorrow. You're putting yourself. Oh, okay, you want to get out of here? I see how it is because you don't want to leave in in the darkness. Yeah. I see you. I see you. See there you go. Um. So he might end up missing the regular season, but his timetable is four to six weeks. So he could come back optimistically if you're a Georgia fan for around the Ole Miss or Tennessee game and then still might be available Georgia Tech game thereafter. So it's really not known if he's actually out for the regular season or not, but that is a potential outcome. Again, four to six weeks puts that either just before the end of conference play there or, again, Georgia Tech week, that sort of thing. So – and you might not want to play for George Set because you might decide you're going to beat him either way, and you probably would. So, anyway, Georgia with an unimpressive but definitely concerning or unimpressive win, but still a win, however, kind of a loss in that they have lost 
Brock Bowers for at least a few weeks. Number two. Alabama had to hold on at home against Arkansas 24-21. It looked like it was going to be all tied after uh, they kind of got going their second quarter into the third. But uh, Arkansas mounted a charge, got the ball back with an opportunity down three, could not move the ball, and then Alabama was able to do enough to run out the clock. So Alabama continues the theme of winning, but still not looking like what we're accustomed to. Uh, But the main thing for them is they have continued to win as they did hold on against Arkansas 24-21. Number three. Another low-scoring game, and this one was another tough watch if you are an A&M fan. Tennessee able to defeat Texas A&M 20-13 in Neyland. It was a great home environment that Tennessee had, as they normally do. Joe Milton still not looking the best. They no. ran the ball really well, and that Tennessee run game is something that's that's genuinely good. But Milton just not doesn't have a lot. He threw a, a, what would have been a very important interception in the, uh, in the end zone. Uh, Tennessee was about to go up two scores and threw a bad interception. But the Vols' defense hung in there and a real blip on the radar for the A&M offense as they struggled mightily, losing 20-13. to Two more here on the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. Number four. A little bit of a surprise game for me, at least, in Williams-Brice Stadium as a tough place to play normally was not tough for the Florida Gators. Florida winning a high-scoring affair 41-39 to there as South Carolina has had a whale of a time this year, uh, struggling mightily, now down 2-4 and this year. Florida 5-2, and I still, I, I'm just not going <laughs> to, I don't know, man. I still think, I still, still don't think they're that great, but, a five and two on the year before the bye week here as they get set for the the Georgia game here in a couple of weeks. The Gators win forty one to thirty nine. And last up here on the sports call five at five, presented by Southeastern Land Group. Number five. Missouri and Kentucky. And Missouri going to Kroger Field, shopping for a victory and leaving with a victory as they beat the Wildcats. I think you guys said it earlier. Kentucky got – or earlier yesterday, excuse me. Hope they had their savings card. Yeah, uh, that Kentucky got out to a good start in that game and did not much well after that. And Missouri now the surprise 6-1 team back in the top 25. This week they're going to be ranked number 20. And so Missouri with a good season so far. Surprisingly good season. That's Sports Call 5 <coughs> at 5 presented by Southeastern Land Group. The five SEC games outside of Auburn this weekend. Gentlemen, I know that you want some thoughts on these various games. Yeah, the, I was going to say, in the final year uh, of the four-team playoff, there's an SEC team in the playoff, and it's Missouri. Wah, <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, I think I was going to say, you know, the that Florida game, what Florida team is going to show up week to week? I, I mentioned this yesterday. Um they are they are about as Jekyll and Hyde of a team as you could possibly imagine. Uh, one week they look great. They look like a team that could maybe compete with Georgia and win the East, and then they turn around and they lose one. You're like, what the hell just happened? You don't know what you're going to get from them from week to week. Um, and then Missouri, just the absolute biggest surprise team right now at the SEC. In a year that the SEC is definitely down and there's more disappointments in the SEC than there are surprises, Missouri is that surprise. They are that team that uh, really nobody expected much out of them uh, in the East, and they just keep winning. And, man, uh, Eli Drinkwitz may be saving his job there for a little bit. 
my my thought here on the SEC slate is, um, no matter how they do it, they're winning football games, and that is Alabama. When you get to the end of the year, let's say they they win out, all right? Because you got Tennessee this weekend, and you uh, you still got LSU on your on your schedule coming up here, which are their two toughest games uh, coming down the stretch outside of the, that Auburn game, and it, it's really you only call the Auburn game a tough game because it's at Jordan Air Stadium. If this Auburn team was going to Bryant Denny, I don't know how um, a lot of people would feel about it. But you wind up there at the end of the year, and and you know I know I know a lot of people around here aren't going to want to hear this. But let's say, you know, the 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 Big Ten, you know, kind of eats the, – the top three teams in that Big Ten kind of, you know, kind of eat themselves. And, you know, Ohio State beats Penn State. Penn State beats Michigan. Michigan beats Ohio State. Uh, and then some – you know, it, it gets it gets conundrum there with, with people beating beating different teams. You get to the end of the year, and let's say Alabama goes in – beats Georgia in the SEC championship. Doesn't matter how they looked playing. That's a one-loss SEC team that beat the defending national champions. Their only loss was to a Texas team that everybody held very well. They're in the playoff. At least they're in the conversation to be in that playoff spot. Um, and it's it's just how they, they keep, you know, it, it they, they don't look great. They, or they don't look like Alabama teams have in the past. But they keep winning, and they keep finding ways to win those football games. And that's and when you get to that end of the year, that's what matters is you found ways to win football games. You do have to say, though, again, a couple of those poor things have to happen for other conferences because, like, because of the optic, because of the way Bama's look, they're still in the pecking order. If it's them, not Georgia, I I think they're still last in the pecking order of conferences. If the best version of those other conferences play out, like if Florida State's undefeated, I think Florida State goes over one loss Alabama this year. That that would not necessarily be said in other years. But the way Bama's look, Florida State would go. If you have either Ohio State or Michigan undefeated, they would go. Mm-hmm. If you have either undefeated Oklahoma or one loss Texas, I'm sorry, but you're taking Texas. Texas went to Bryant-Denny. They won by 10. They looked better. Bama's not looked like they've learned a lot since then. They're just hanging in there. I'm still taking them. And then Pac-12, if you have undefeated Washington, now that's the good news for Alabama is that you start you started to eliminate a lot of possibilities the last couple weeks with USC losing Notre Dame and then someone had to win between Washington and Oregon. But if it's Washington that goes all the way through undefeated, don't see why you'd go over them too with the with – the, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. Someone's hit me in the head. But with the ringer they've gone they would have gone through I was about and to actually say. playing five or six ranked teams. Yeah. No, you're you're not that's not enough to take a law a one loss team that has looked shaky in their wins over an undefeated team. It's not enough. So you will have to have something happen. Now the good news for Alabama is it's college football and something will happen. But as of now, that would be a very dangerous scenario. And and by the way, that would work that way for anyone. It'd work with that way for Tennessee too. Like if Tennessee found a way to upset Georgia and they ended up, uh, they up, upset Bama this weekend and win eleven and one and all that. It'd be the same scenario. This is not just like a oh you know Bama's screwed here. It's like 
Yeah, the SEC, because they lost all those big non-conference games, all the ones that seem to matter, and because the other leagues have someone that's very viable, if that viable team stays in power in those leagues, then the SEC is actually low in the totem pole this year. I don't think it'll play out that way because that's not how college football tends to work. Someone will lose to someone they shouldn't, and that will open the door. To if it, and obviously if it's Georgia, Georgia would be in anyway. But yeah, I mean the, the SEC usually usually the conversation this time of year is oh yeah the SEC's got a couple possibilities to get two in because uh, you know Bama and Georgia do this or if LSU and Georgia do that and blah blah blah. Oh, it ain't about two this year. It's about making sure you get the one uh, if you're the the SEC. Um, because a lot of your good situation, a lot of your, you don't have the trump cards. Like, like that's what I'm saying. Like, if Bama beat Texas, there's a trump card for them. If they both finish with one loss, that result should matter. Bama didn't beat Texas. In fact, they didn't look like they'd beat them here, there, anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and so, th- like that should matter. Even though it was early in the year, it should matter when you play each other. So that's why they're in trouble with the Big Twelve. I don't have to tell you why they're in trouble with the Big Ten, with Ohio State, Michigan, Florida State, because they mollywopped at least a top twenty-five team. I don't think LSU's what they would have been this year, but BLSU uh, team started highly ranked, have looked fine. They end up going; they'll they'll get the benefit. Someone in the ACC would be pretty highly ranked when they play them, uh, either North Carolina or if Duke makes it through. Somebody, as long as they only have no, uh, no conference losses or one conference loss, someone will be highly ranked. With no losses, look, if it was one losses, sure, I'll hear the argument out. But with zero losses, no. Sorry. I think my, my, I think my point, and I may have said it poorly, but I think my point is is that it, at people, you know, a lot of people want to write off Alabama. Right. If they I went mean, out, they're, they're still, still in the conversation. Yeah. yeah. They're no, still absolutely. in that conversation. Yeah, and I, I, again, I don't take that to mean I was, oh, no, yeah, they're, they're <laughs> totally done. I'm just saying that they are in an odd position because – Technically, and again, it's college football. It won't end up this way. I'm telling you right now in week seven, eight, whatever we're at right now, it won't happen this way. But as of right now, if that scenario played out and Bama did beat Georgia, they would not go. Again, Washington will mess that up. I think that's the most logical thing because really two things have to happen in all the other conferences, whereas only one thing has to happen in the Pac-12, and then I'm not sure how a one-loss Pac-12 team, even as good as the conference has been this year, would fare uh, perception-wise or otherwise against one loss Alabama. Um, but still, again, the possibility remains where it usually does not that, yeah, and the Alabama actually does not technically control its own destiny. And also what will not help, too, and what they're not rooting for, they don't want to see Georgia mess up and lose to Tennessee. You know why? Even if it is Georgia that still goes, because Bama says, says uh, beats Tennessee this weekend, now one loss, Georgia's devalued. Now they're like fifth or sixth or fourth, fifth, whatever. Whatever it happens when they, if and when they lose. Then all of a sudden your win doesn't look as special. Again, that's the problem of a conference that, again, lost all of its important non-con games. If Bama is undefeated this now, this is a dumb conversation to have if Bama beats Texas. Or if LSU has looked worth a damn in the second half against Florida State and beat Florida State. This would be a dumb conversation at that point. But that, coupled with Alabama's eking them out every week, sure, A&M's fine, decent team, whatever. You beat them on the road. 
Jimbo made some horrible decisions. Like, Bama almost had to give that ball back again. Against Arkansas, they did give the ball back again after being up three possessions. And fortunately for them, they got the stop. But Arkansas had the ball with six or seven minutes left. Could have won. You know, that that's not the mark of a benefit of the doubt team so far this year. Now, I, I still project I'm a – I'll be damned. They will end up eleven one. <laughs> you know, I'll be so upset. Yeah. They look they look vulnerable in multitude of ways, but they'll find a way. I, I'm I'm just kind of that put off. But they but that's the thing is we're not talking about it. They're going to go find their groove and start beating up people. No, they're just going to keep getting by and beat the team. And there's value in that. You still got to win the games. Yep. It's still value. Win, win is a win. You you want me to start the the chaos dominoes this weekend? Yeah, give me and some the, chaos listen, dominoes. This is in no way. This is in no way a, an official prediction from Brooks yeah. Shouldress. My uh, a but a potential uh, start the chaos dominoes this weekend. Washington, yep. just had a very emotional big time yep. win national TV. Goes in loses to Arizona State this weekend. Oh, start God. those oh, dominoes. Oh. Yeah, that would be yuck. They better not do yeah. that. Because I you know you look at their schedule uh, the the teams that you would think you know and this they is got, just, they got Southern Cal Utah and, and Oregon State again just don't Are trust Southern Cal's just, defense to do literally anything yeah but you could because it's college football I know so like what but, if Caleb Williams gotten a shoot shoot off with you, you got, and you then got Stanford you've got you've got USC uh, or not Stanford. USC you've got that Utah game at home which Utah's got a great defense yeah, offense can't just score doesn't yeah. exist right. uh, you're at Oregon State and you got Washington State those are big enough games you get up for. I'm just saying, you want to flip a domino? <laughs> they just won a very emotional game. See, you, that would be hard you, to finish. You had yeah. that circled all year long, that Oregon game, and then the week after, Arizona State knocks them off. Because yeah. Pac-12. Well, and then that would also throw it, because I think, Wait. you know, Penix has really kind of separated himself in the Heisman thing right now. And if they have a bad game, yeah, like against Arizona State, then, yeah, you throw that domino, or you throw that wrench into the whole – mechanism of what's happening with your playoff possibilities but then you're also throwing a wrench into your heisman possibilities i was i was going to say you want me to dilly add more dilly. i was going to say add more flame to the fires if they were a nine o'clock pac 12 networks uh-huh. t- game they're 9 30 but they're on fs1 yeah. watch out crazy things happen get some tim brando action random game i haven't discussed with anybody because i left town well i could have i'm still here a little bit friday no yeah uh, anyway could have discussed it with you Saturday, I should say, but not on this show. The ending to West Virginia and Houston, and I know that no one really cares about those schools. That ending, and Tom's looking at me like I have two heads. Uh, so I definitely did not see. So this. this, I think this was Friday night, right? I'm not wrong. It was no, it was uh, Thursday night. Thursday night, yes, Thursday night. Because Friday. When night did was the, the Braves lose? Uh, Wednesday. No, yeah. the second time. Thursday. When did they lose the series? Thursday. Like, okay. Because you know, <laughs> like, I remember. No, the other time. I remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know they lost a lot, but so Thursday night. I'm going to see if I can pull the video up so Tom can, so have Tom can see it. The, the, brief, the brief refresher is uh, this is not that brief, but West Virginia is down two scores. Mm-hmm. They have like a second or third down. They throw it right to Houston, drops an interception. Okay. Drops an interception, then they go down and score. All right, well, it's still fine. There's still a couple minutes left. Run out the clock. Well, they couldn't quite run out the clock. West Virginia gets the ball back with like a minute and a half left. West Virginia is then at like uh, the 40-yard line with like 30 seconds left, something like that. 40-something-yard touchdown pass. Misses two tackles. Whoops, whoops, whoops. Touchdown with 12 seconds left. Oh, no. Houston lost. Surely it's over. 
Surely it's not over. College football. They get to like the 45-yard line, their own 45, with a couple seconds left. Hail Mary time. Let's chuck and duck. Prayer. Help. Tipped. Caught. Touchdown, Houston. Wow. Ball game. Blew a two-touchdown lead after you should have had an interception. Blew it with 12 seconds left. Oh, fine. We'll complete the Hail Mary. All fine. That was, and I know, again, like nationally, not a huge deal. It's West Virginia, Houston, whatever. West Virginia had been undefeated in the Big 12. Like, they they were had, they were in the best position to upset the apple cart of a Texas and Oklahoma. Again, still a long way to go in the season, but they were the best position to, to prevent a Texas and Oklahoma rematch. Nope, lost on a Hail Mary. Uh, Neil Brown had figured something out until he had not. And so uh, Tom's watching the, the highlights watching now. the Hail but. Mary right there. Wow. So well, you also had uh, you also had the Hail Mary finish uh, Boise State. And Colorado State. Colorado State. Yeah, they were down, they were down three scores, down I want to say. three scores in, in the fourth quarter. And then, oh! Yeah. You know, and, was... And look, look, real quickly, Brooks, let me just say that, this. If you, if you blow a lead like that, you blow a three-score lead. And I don't think Colorado – I think, too, Colorado State had never beaten That's Boise. That's the point I was just about to okay. say. I was about to say Colorado, that was Colorado State's first-ever win over Boise State. And you blow a game like that, you know what you're thinking? Well, that's overwhelming. <laughs> I mean, that is just incredible. Yeah. Because it was, again, not blown – it's not like you blew 21 points in three quarters. You blew it all in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So, I look, just showing some love to the rest of the country for some of the epicness because I think you said this yesterday, Brooks. It's like it's – and maybe you all got – you all the guys said it. Maybe Brant said it. Actually, I think Brant said it. I'm sorry. Scatterbrain. Well, I'll take credit. I drove seven hours. I'm about out of gas for today. But we got 30 more minutes worth. Is – it's been a rough season for Auburn. I think it will not get significantly better. I think it will get a little bit better as they play some of the weaker teams in the SEC. Yeah. But it is still a very watchable and very fun year around college football. There oh, yeah. is a lot of fun storylines. That Heisman race, too, I think that there is a clear leader now. I also, mind you, there are six weeks left. There are right. six games left. <clears throat> like that. Is, sure. I know that the media and we all do this thing where we and crown a winner halfway home. But as you guys said, if Penix has a whoops, it's it's not like last year where there's not a, long, a lot of strong candidates. Jordan Travis, Travis is championing the best Florida State team in a decade. You have Jaden Daniels putting up ungodly numbers. It's just they've lost a couple times. No fault of his own, but yeah. putting up crazy numbers, both passing and rushing. You've still got Bo Nix, who's still a pretty good option. I know it's going to be rough for him to win over Penix now, but if Penix has something really bad happen, it's not like Nix is all of a sudden blown up and had a horrible year. Williams is is down the list a little bit for me because he throws three picks. Like He's definitely a part of why they lost to Notre Dame. But if you've got all these big teams still, what if he outduels Penix? You know, what if he... It, Marvin Harrison Jr. Right. Marvin Harrison Jr., Ohio State, big-time receiver. Uh, I even throw in I, – I don't like throwing my own guys. I don't want to be accused of bias, but, like, you look at the betting odds in the top seven, quarterback in North Carolina, Drake May, who Carolina's still undefeated. And, that and he, he just found a new weapon. And he just got Tez Walker back because the NCAA grew a heart, grew a mind. Uh, and so – a lawsuit coming down the pipe. Right. And then you have, <laughs> the, then you have yeah. the punter at Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's punted a lot. I know. <laughs> and they're winning a lot. It's a perfect storm. They could go – I was talking to Brooks about this earlier. 
They go eleven and one. They could. Don't don't rule that out. Are you pulling up their schedule right now? I was, I was pulling up their schedule because they they don't have much on that schedule, and they're already five and one. They're five and one, and here's the stretch run. Here. Yeah, you got Minnesota. Not that good. Not that good this year. Yeah, you got the bye week, yep. and you come out of the bye week with the stretch of just four <laughs> big games. The, I'll tell you what the biggest one is. Uh-huh. Uh, first, you get Northwestern. Wow. Uh, yeah. Technically, not a not wild played at, kitties you, this you, year. You play yeah. at Wrigley Field too, so it's like it's even more chaotic there. That, hey, you know what? That, well, you know why that's appropriate? What is that? It'll be in a baseball. Oh, uh, it'll be three to two. Yeah. yeah, it'll be a baseball score. Um, the the more dif- the most difficult game I would say is that Rutgers game on November eleventh. Who would have that, said they're that? Like four and two, they've been okay, but yeah, good lord. Uh, then you got Illinois. Yeah, and no. at Nebraska to finish things out. God Almighty! You see, you see what I mean? There's not a game they won't be favored in. It, and all they got to do is I, score 14 points, and that's an Iowa specialty. You just make sure they punt them inside the 20 five times, and then Iowa's defense will cook up a turnover. You'll have a short field, easy field goal. you have a special teams play. You'll have w- one accidentally good offensive drive. You're, you're home free. If they go 11-1, but they don't reach that point till, does Brian Ferentz still keep a job? No. That That's dumb. Would you Would – you no, you – because because the, the offense not still good. outscored everybody, so, but they're awful. So their so their punter is a senior, Tory Taylor, uh, against Wisconsin. He punted ten times, five hundred and six combined yards. He Heck averaged, yeah, he averaged, their offense could never. Uh, he <laughs> averaged fifty point six yards per punt. Half of his ten punts went over fifty yards, including two sixty plus yarders. Six were down inside the twenty yard line. Excellent. None of his punts were touchbacks. Uh, Coffin corner, man. And and just to, you I know, saw like he's punted for like. Oh, he's he's Australian. There you go. Go figure. This was this past weekend. You said yeah, ten that punts in just, one game that they won. Just remember, this was in Madison, Wisconsin, not in Denver, Colorado, where he's punting. These. <laughs> That's a great. I, I kind I don't want to deeply discuss this. I like that we're having fun, but that is a perfect conundrum for Iowa football. Their offense didn't make any progress whatsoever. Their coordinator OC is still not good at his job. They went at eleven and one. So can you actually fire anyone off a of staff that went eleven and one? If they go eleven and one, we'll still see. They might they might still lose ten to nine in one of these games to Rutgers or something. But the the, the the ingredients are there for them to go back to a Big Ten title game. Is Brian Ferrett okay? Excuse, let me go to Kirk for a second. I was going to say the ultimate goal of the offensive coordinator is that his team scores more points than the other team's offense. Let me let me give you this stupid question: Is Kirk Ferentz the worst good coach you know of? Oh. Because he's not bad. You can't say he's a bad no, coach. You look at the career records. He, yeah, and, and Iowa football has been amazingly consistent and have stayed semi-relevant almost every year. They've had their six or seven win season, but they usually it doesn't stay that way for long. They get back up to nine or ten, go back to the Big Ten title game. But in no way am I interested in what Kirk Ferentz is doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not. I have, to, I have to throw this one more stat out about yeah. Torrey Taylor. So he's punted the ball 46 times already this season. Sure. 2,235 yards. Good grief. Get him to New it's York. 48.6 yards per punt. Get him to New York. Last year he punted for 3,725 yards on 82 punts. Is there some sort of like he's all-time a- punting numbers that this kid can approach? 
there might be. I mean, that uh, a thousand seven sixty five one year, three thousand six eighty eight, three thousand seven twenty five. He's at uh, 2,235 halfway through the season right now. So he's looking at possibly a 4,000 yard punting season. Jesus. Yeah, I think you can get it. I think that's the <laughs> I think that's the goal Brian Ferentz should pivot to. Is, yeah, no, we were just trying to get the punter the right. We have got yeah. a heck of a punter. We we knew our defense could hold. We knew that he punter was good. Uh good good field position battle. Yeah, we were we were we were playing this the whole time. I I just can't – again, I was talking about this earlier in the season. Now, now, granted, I think that Iowa is – again, I don't like giving them credit, but they're – you know, they're a team. That's the, be- that's the best I can do. They're a team. But I liken it to Colorado's like – Colorado's not going to end up even better than Iowa or even as good as Iowa this year because they, they, that, that loss to Stanford the other night was what, a sickos committee – masterpiece because it's not that they lost a 29 nothing lead to Stanford. So they lost 29 nothing lead and lost at home to Stanford. Who lost to wait for it. Stanford lost this year to Sacramento State at home. I guess it would be given to be at home, but to Sacramento State. And so it's not that Colorado's a good team cuz they're not. They're going to end up like 6 and 6, maybe 5 and 7. They might have might have missed their opportunity to make a bowl game. But they're still a far more watchable team, and I don't mean because of Dion or you know the, any antics. It's just because they will score points. Other team will score points. You will have offense. You will have a crazy game. If you watch Iowa football, here's other things that are, are kind of like watching Iowa football. Okay, snapping your fingers, watching paint dry, eating cardboard. I watch my cat do that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Clean, cleaning up your cat's throw up because she does that a lot she ate too. Cardboard, <laughs> like those are things that you would say. Yeah, that's about the same as watching Iowa. I mean, it's tough. I will say, watching my cat eat cardboard is a little more thrilling because I have to get up off the couch and like run over and stop her from eating it. So it's uh-huh. there's a little more action, a little more involved. urgency. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's enough on Iowa football. That's way too much time, actually. But uh, we're they, outside of Iowa City. It's yeah. always way too uh, much all time. because I brought up their punter. Yeah. Who is good? Yeah. He's a good punter. MVP. He needed to be. He needed to be good, or they wouldn't be five hundred. Heisman right Trophy now. candidate punter. Yeah, yeah, not not really, but yeah, no way. yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that was a look at the Heisman race, including Iowa's punter, <laughs> and those are sentences you don't expect to say. And uh, we're going to take another time out of the show. We'll be back. We'll rein in more of a local flavor and a less Hawkeye flavor. A less very vanilla and plain and very hard to taste flavor of less Iowa. Corn. Yeah, less corn flavor. Talk a little bit more about these SEC situations, about Auburn situation coming up as we start to wrap up this Tuesday edition of Sports Call here in Tiger 95.9. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player and national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. 
Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Wrapping things up, starting to wrap things up on this Tuesday. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brooks Childress with you here. Just talking all about college football on the other side of that break. If you ever miss anything on the show, if you want to hear it again, go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast brought to you by Coca-Cola. Available on a bunch of different platforms, including our Tiger Communications app. And, of course, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, all that sort of stuff. Certainly appreciate you for tuning in, however you may be listening to Auburn's First and Auburn's Favorite Sports Talk Show. A couple other SEC topics I want to get to. Mentioned earlier, of course, the, the Sports Call 5 at 5, we mentioned those five game results from the SEC outside of the Auburn game. And mentioned earlier about Jimbo Fisher's hot seat. Uh, take the temperature for me in Columbia, South Carolina now oh. with Shane Beamer. We're starting, to, we're starting to feel like we're transitioning from spring to summer. Are we Are we still in, uh, still in February? Goodness. You know, I hadn't even thought about Shane Beamer seat being hot because, I mean, he just they seem to love him so sure. much there. Uh, two and four. Yeah. And it's not uh, in year th- – and it's year three, so it's right. not like it's early. Mm. Still. I, I, I think his seat is maybe – just, so you know when you all right, you know when you turn your oven on? Yeah. Right, do you have a glass top stove? Or is it uh no. Have you ever seen a glass top glass top stove? Yes, yes, okay. but but it's not mine. Yeah. When you turn it on yeah. and that immediate red comes on and then it kind of disappears. Yeah. That's kind of where his seat is. It's like it's just now. Okay. That first little bit of heat is just just there. Sure. So it, it can it can go away really quick, but it's that it's just starting. I like it. Okay, just starting a little bit. Yeah, I think I think he's fine this year, no matter how this, unless it's just catastrophic at the end. So they don't win again. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's scorching hot. I think if if it if it gets to you know they like you said they don't win again, it it's you know they they got to make a move. But I think that he's got. I, th- I think it's like we were talking about with uh, with Sam Pittman uh, coming into this, uh, coming into either this year or last year. He's got. He had the equity. He's got a little bit of an equity because he went in. He beat Clemson last year. He beat Tennessee. He had sure. some big wins. Got them ranked. They were ranked in that last poll. Uh, got them to a big bowl game. They you know ended up not beating uh, Notre Dame last year in that Gator Bowl. But you still you were able to you know you do have a bowl win a couple years ago at that Duke's Mayo Bowl. So one and one in the postseason. Uh, right now, he's sitting at 17 and 15 overall as a head coach at South Carolina through two and a half years. I think next year is his his year, his prove it year. You you've got to uh, you've got to come out of next year showing them something, or ne- or next December, next November, they're going to be looking for a new head coach in South Carolina. Well, but see, my other thing is, you know, what I, maybe I just don't have a good pulse on South Carolina, but you know, what are their expectations? What are their realistic expectations? You see, and, and I know they have they they were in the SEC championship game against Auburn in 2010. Yeah. But is that is is that what their expectations are? Or was that a one off? The thing about it is, I I feel like, and I may be totally off. I don't know if anybody else thinks this. But it feels like with this new age of the transfer portal, and I know it's not a immediate. It can't. It, not every year is an immediate turnaround. But I feel like with the with the transfer portal, the expectations have changed. Right. That you you were they're no longer satisfied with a, a coach sticking around 
for five, six, seven years if they're just going to go seven wins, six right. wins, eight wins. Because you can get players in that portal. Now, not every year. You know, you look at the portal every year. There's one. There's always one or two, three stars, and then everybody else is kind of, all right, you were, you're fine at your old school. I could see why you left because they got somebody better. But with the, with the age of the portal and you can get guys in that can help you change a program quicker, I, I think that expectations have started to change. Right. Well, and, you know, look, I heard a brief discussion on timetables yesterday as it pertained to Auburn. I still don't think people should overdo this. It, I think it still depends on how broken a program is or what situation is, what they're trying to excel in. Look, I get it. Transfer portal enables you to flip rosters. It does not mean you flip rosters with your guys. It does not mean you flip rosters with the true talent that it takes. Because I heard Brant say this yesterday, and I, I singled it out because I disagreed vehemently. He said this is, roster is being made, is, is already getting made in Hugh Freeze's image. It is absolutely not if you've got players from North Texas and you got players from all these small schools, Jackson State, Tulsa, even though Dylan Wade's pretty good. you got guys on defense, again, from North Texas and from Appalachian State that you're saying are your top guys. Those guys might have been having decent college careers, sure. Right. And, and that's what was available to you, so you went and got it. Those are not the five-star and high four-star players going to be playing on Sundays. Nope. Those are not the guys Georgia and Alabama and LSU were recruiting. Sorry, it's not. Right. And so this is not a Hugh Freeze full roster. That's absolutely absurd. You've got to have it have two to three recruiting classes, two to three portal cycles, because then you start to elevate yourself. You're earlier in the process. You can go after bigger portal guys. But more specifically, it's the, it is still those recruiting classes. Mm -hmm. You can try, and, and again, you fill in gaps, absolutely. You get a key player here, key player there, absolutely. But you don't go win so far. With 15 starters, 17 starters that are all portal guys that year. Maybe even a lot of them are portal guys from a couple years ago that you developed. Like someone like Caleb Burton. We'll see. Maybe in a couple years, he'll end up being really good. Went to Ohio State, came here pretty quickly, has still several years of college football ahead of him. Maybe he ends up really good. Or maybe not. I don't know. Right. But you can have some portal guys that maybe were quick quick in leaving other schools not guys at three to four or five years that were still just pretty good at, at the group of five level if that's your whole team that's not going to be the, the roster georgia trots out there that's not be the ohio state's roster that's not be your top 10 15 right. schools and countries roster so i vehemently disagree with that it is still a three to four year pr a proof of concept where okay you need a couple of of classes because You've not only got to have the four to five stars and start working on them, convincing them, and start to rebuild the talent at the top. Mm -hmm. It's also depth. When you're in a position like Auburn, and you're in a position where you had three to four bad recruiting cycles in a row, I think 2020 Gus's was bad. 2019 Gus's was still really good because it's the tank class that went in the 20s, so that class is still good. So it's the last Gus class and the two Harson classes, right. 21 and 22. Those are bad. Those are that's enough time to really deplete your depth. Yep. Not only does it affect the top, but it affected the depth because it's three back classes, not one. And so that's why it takes multiple years and why I'm not 
really expect anything till year three. That's when 2025 is when you should start to see because that's when you've had your real class become right. sophomores. Because last year's class, I know you can attribute that to Freeze because he saved some of it at the end. That's still, again, that's not your guys that will right. win you championships. That was not those type of guys. You're hoping the Perry Thompsons, DeMarcus Riddicks, Walter uh, Walker White, excuse me, yeah. <laughs> of the world. That's going to happen over time. Uh, those are the that's the start, the foundation of the talent, mm-hmm. and then you do it again the next year, and that's another key foundation. That's when the depth starts to build. So, as much as we want it now, and as much as we think the portal has vastly changed things, and it's changed things in a lot of ways for this specific part of it. For trying to build something that was in a truly bad place, there is no quick fix for that. No matter what anyone says otherwise, you have to have the top-tier talent found in recruiting and the depth found in recruiting, and then you get the, oh, we needed needed one little kickstart here. We needed a little something there. That's what the portal is for. Right, well— all you got to do is look at your top classes right now, or, or your your top teams right now. Um, let's just let's take Georgia for example. Have they used the transfer portal? Sure, but they, yeah. that's not their the vast majority of their roster are nope. guys that have been there for years. Look at Alabama; they've used the portal, but the most of their guys are guys that have been there for years. Ohio State. I was gonna say Alabama needed a spark Michigan, wide receiver, yeah. and then yeah. they got it out of the portal. Hey, sure. But that, but see, and that's fine. And you, if you can find that spark, that one, it's like a position in need. Let's go get this one guy. We're good everywhere else except maybe this position. But we really, really need. It. If we can, Dad if we can get this one guy missing a little piece of the puzzle, you know, then sure. But overall, your talent are guys that have been there. Ohio State, same thing. Florida State. Keon Coleman came in from from uh, Michigan State, obviously. But the the rest of that core has been there yeah. for a little bit, and and so that's yeah that's where your team comes from. Your team comes from the guys that you recruit, that you bring in as the five star blue chip guys that stick around with you for three maybe four years, sometimes even five years. That's what you want. Uh, that's where you build a program. That's where your program becomes good, and then you use that portal to your advantage just to try to pick and choose if you just need to kind of fill a gap here and there, and you can go out. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's really the big thing with that is, is you have to have those recruiting classes. I mean, it shows it from all the the top teams. They're not loaded with transfers that are there. Here's another prime example, LSU, DBU. One of the reasons their defensive backfield is not so good this year is because they lost so much from last right. year that they tried to fill it out with guys from the transfer portal and they missed on a bunch of dudes. And so they have guys from like La Monroe playing back there. Yep. So it, that's not the type of talent that LSU is used to having in the secondary. They're used to having the five-star guys that have been there for years that are just the ball hawks, the future first-round NFL dudes that are back there, not the guy that came in from La Monroe. Yeah. So that yeah, that's how that's how that transfer portal's got to be working. That's what Hugh Freeze is doing. That's that's why the uh, 2024 class is what it is right now. With you know Perry Thompson is a big piece of that. Um, there's other guys that they're trying to flip. There's guys that are still committing and signing. Now you're looking at 2025 guys are coming on board. So yeah, you just got to give it time. I mean, now is not the time to jump off the ship. Now is the time to rally behind him. 
and realized that, hey, this is a mess right now, but he's actually putting something together that can be the foundation for big future things looking forward. So, And I, and I know the origin of that discussion there, and we're going to have this exact same discussion, I promise, sure. like 18 more times Absolutely. in the next year. Uh, but that, this specific origin was because of year three for Shane Beamer and how year three is now looking like right. the worst year. It's like, okay, well, still at some point you get a couple years down the line. I, I wasn't asking South Carolina to be a finished product in year three, but what I was wondering on the heels of some big stuff last year, like at least maintain that yeah. and then maybe add a little bit to it and the expectations for them. Well, okay, look, Brooks made a great point too, and I hate we're running out of time here, but – he made a great point that's like your perception of what's attainable to you will change immensely starting next year because all of a sudden South Carolina should yeah they shouldn't expect to win the SEC but if they see and this is what Arkansas is going to see right now is what Mississippi State is going to see if they can see Ole Miss hang around the top 15 like A you think you can be that why is Ole Miss so much better than you and then B if they're hanging top 15 that's hanging around a playoff spot starting next year and then all of a sudden, like if you just sneak to twelve, you'd be the fourth best team in the league, and finish eleventh to twelve in the country. Boom, playoff. And how that changes the perception of your season. Instead of no disrespect to the Cotton Bowl or whatever quality bowl games out there, getting in that playoff, having a chance at the end of the year to win the title, that changes the perception of any season, no matter how many losses or or who your loss was to. Specifically for South Carolina, you look at what Missouri's doing this year. Yeah, also well, to Missouri, like they're twenty. Now they're a little low in the ranking, but at six and one, like at number twenty in a twelve-team playoff, they're in it. Sure. They, like they still have a shot at it. And this, Missouri's another team that has been to the SEC title, right? Against Auburn, right? Right. <laughs> so again, Missouri would be the same bill. Where yeah, I'm not expecting Missouri to go win an SEC title or even beat Georgia, but but they've like, shown they can get but there. If you're getting if you're getting to ten and two in the SEC. You might get the playoff that way, and you might not have to beat the, the biggest team or whatever. So we are viciously over time. Brooks, in 30 seconds, without any music, top TV guy. Uh, movies, Hotel Transylvania, 6 o'clock, a free form, Devil Wears Prada, 645 FXM. Uh, college football tonight, the two Alabama teams playing. Southern Miss visits South Alabama at 630 on ESPN2, uh, and on ESPNU at 630 Western Kentucky visits Jacksonville State. you got a pair of hockey games on tonight on ESPN. You've got some baseball on tonight on TBS. U.S. Men's National Teams plays tonight on TNT, and you got some preseason NBA action on ESPN uh, as well. And so that is your United TV Guy brought to reference at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks. I gave you absolutely no time to work with, but you still did a great job. Look forward to hearing you out at the High School Coaches Show tomorrow. Got it in there. And Tom Peavy, thank you for being here today. We'll see you again tomorrow. Yes, sir. I'll be here. That will do it for the show for this Tuesday. We appreciate Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us in hour number one. As always, we appreciated all those that tuned in and called in. For Brooks Childress and Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Tuesday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.